and in three, two, one. podcast where I, Sam Gladen, and my friend, Josiah McDonald, sit down and discuss the wacky week that was in professional wrestling. Now, before we jump in to a very, very action-packed week with all kinds of wrestling from all different sources, I do want to give my good buddy, Josiah, just a moment, just a second, to go ahead, grab the mic, drop his Austin 316 promo, and tell you who he is, why he's here, and what he does. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks, Sam. Uh, I can't guarantee my promo will be of the same quality as Steve Austin, but uh, I am glad to be here and glad to join uh, Join in. Um, so as he said, my name is Josiah McDonald. Uh, I have been a wrestling fan for most of my life, since uh, about seven years old. Uh, I don't really remember exactly when I started watching wrestling, Um it was during the new generation era of the WWF when I started, very similar to Kevin Owens' story. Uh, my first WrestleMania was WrestleMania 11, but I, st- I wa- started watching before then. And I was aware of who Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage and the Ultimate Warrior were and all that kind of stuff, but I don't remember how. Um, maybe it was just a, a cultural awareness, but uh, I grew up in a small town in Canada and uh, wrestling was very popular there. And when I say small town, I mean small town of about 1,500 people. Uh, my high school graduating class had 45 people in it. So <laughs> so that's... And we were a big class. We were considered one of the bigger classes. So... Uh, in comparison, I, my, my class was the smallest class in a decade, and I had 275 kids in my class. <laughs> That's almost the entire population of what my high school was. Uh, uh, actually, no, it's actually more than that. My, my, uh, my high school had probably about 170 students. Uh, and uh, the, the elementary school probably had about 200, and now combined, they're probably about 250. Because they recently merged the schools. Uh, I shouldn't say recently, within the last 10 years, they tore down the old school and uh, moved them all over to the high school into one school. So it's a uh, great primary slash kindergarten to 12. But uh, I don't live there anymore. I live in one of the biggest cities in my part of Canada on the East Coast in the Maritimes. And the city is known as Moncton. And it has about 100,000 people. And yes, that is one of the biggest cities in the Maritimes. So, uh, a small area. Uh, the Maritimes consist of three provinces. Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, and New Brunswick. And those three provinces are a part of Atlantic Canada. Atlantic Canada also includes Newfoundland. And uh, about the population of all three provinces is about 3 million people. Thereabouts. So, a, a small area, but... Uh, where I live, uh, there's a strong uh, tradition of wrestling fans. The Atlantic Grand Prix uh, used to be the territory here, and uh, guys like J.J. Dillon used to come up here, and Macho Man, and Ric Flair, and Andre the Giant, they all used to work here. Uh, and they like working here because it was only a summer territory, so it only ran during good weather. 
and people got paid well. So that's the area where I'm from. Uh, I, as for my own fandom, uh, that I came around to wrestling long after the the Atlanta Grand Prix stopped running. They resumed running in the early 2000s and run off and on occasionally. They haven't run a show since 2017. But uh, there's lots of local indies that I, 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 I visit a local indie. Actually, I help out at them. Um, I, IHW, Innovative Hybrid Wrestling, which you can find on Fight.TV for free. Uh, there's a whole back archive of episodes there. Uh, they're actually running a show tomorrow night, the first in over a year. Um, wow. So uh, with social distancing, mask mandatory, all this kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's so my own fandom. I started in the new generation era of the WWF and Bret Hart was my guy. I'm Canadian, so it kind of made sense I would attach to uh, another Canadian as a uh, as my favorite wrestler. Um, but him and Shawn Michaels were my, pretty much my two favorites growing up. And probably in 94, but it could have been in 95, I discovered WCW. Uh, through WCW Saturday Night on TBS, we got TBS in Canada. Uh, the WWF aired on local affiliates here. Um, I watched mostly through Superstars. Uh, we did get Raw as well on TSN, uh, although it wasn't on TSN till the late 90s. So it would have been syndicated and probably replays, uh, I think, on Saturdays. I think we got replays of Raw on Saturdays. But uh, I would watch Superstar on Superstars on Thursdays after school. And I would watch Raw wherever I could find it. And it was quite fun. Uh, it was right at the end. Uh, what The Lex Express had failed. It's after WrestleMania 10. And so Brett was the champion, and he was my champion uh, growing up. And I remember when, very specifically, remember seeing the highlights on uh, on Superstars when Bob Backlund beat Bret Hart at Survivor Series for the title, and then Diesel, Kevin Nash, beat him the next night at a house show at Madison Square Garden in seven seconds to become the champion. And uh, basically turned babyface in the process as well. And so I don't know how I'm still a fan with Kevin Nash's run as champion, but he was all I knew at that point. Um, I like Nash. I do. I like Diesel. Um, but, man, he was given a lot of terrible stuff in that era. But uh, I discovered WCW in 95 and quickly attached to... Uh, Sting is my favorite there. And so Sting uh, and Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels were pretty much my favorites. Uh, I was a fan of Diesel as a kid. Um, when they all jumped to WCW, I didn't know what was happening. I was so excited to watch WCW every week after that because <laughs> you never knew who was going to show up. And uh, by 1997, um, it would have been probably just before the Montreal Screwjob. I was 12 years old at the time, or almost 12. I would have turned 12 that December. I was 11. And uh, the WWF became 
they were very much so starting to become the Attitude Era WWF, much more adult-oriented. And my parents decided that wasn't for me to watch. Uh, and to be honest, I agree with their decision. Decision: a, a little kid should not have been watching the WWF in the late nineties. Uh, it was. It would be like sending them to ECW and expecting not to hear swearing. Uh, and then I watched WCW for two years, two more years, and then when Russo came in to WCW, he made it somehow even worse than the WWF in terms of adult content, uh, and not to mention worse in booking. And that was that for me as a wrestling fan. Uh, I stopped watching in 99, and I came back in 2001 to the WWF after they bought out WCW with WrestleMania 17. And uh, in 2002, uh, I was still in high school, but I started hearing about uh, TNA and Ring of Honor. And I got my parents to order a few of the TNA weekly pay-per-views for me. And I really liked them. Um, or I liked some of them anyways. Uh, Russo's booking was terrible, but I, I loved seeing Raven and uh, you know a, lo a lot of the other WCW guys show up there. And they had I love the X division. I, I felt that was a return to the the form of the cruiserweights had, which was one of my favorite parts of WCW. Um, I had watched the WWF off and on, and WWE because uh, became WWE probably. When I, I graduated high school in 2004, and I probably started watching the WWE less and less between 2005 and 2014, uh, I had moments where I was watching and moments where I wasn't, off and on, throughout that time frame. And throughout that, I would watch uh, Ring of Honor and TNA quite a bit. Um, I, I didn't watch a lot of WWE um during probably 2009 to 2014 except for a brief break for punk cm punk and it was in even going back a little bit further than that in 2007 i started to really get into the usc and i watched the ultimate fighter every week when it was on i watched every usc pay-per-view i watched every fight night and of course i'm in my 20s by this point and i uh I didn't really go back to wrestling. In 2009, I just stopped. I stopped watching wrestling, period. Except for the occasional Ring of Honor show, or if I found a New Japan show online or something like that, I would watch that. And uh, I did briefly watch the WWE um, for the when Punk beat Cena at Money in the Bank in 2011. And... WWE ended up botching that storyline quite horribly because somehow Kevin Nash got involved and then it became Triple H versus Kevin Nash instead of CM Punk. And I didn't come back to the WWF until 2014. I did occasionally watch... I did watch WrestleManias during that period, I think. Because uh, I, I remember both Rock versus Cena matches. I, I watched both of those. But... Uh, I really wasn't into it anymore. USC kind of became my thing. And then USC got oversaturated when they moved to Fox. Uh, I stopped watching TNA because Hogan, Bischoff, and Russo completely destroyed whatever that company was. 
which they're still feeling the effects off today by being a barely viewed product, even though it's actually really good now, for the most part, anyways. And then uh, I came back in 2014 uh, for the Royal Rumble. My friend invited me over to watch it, and I said, oh, sure, why not? And to my surprise, I saw Brian Danielson, or Daniel Bryan, come out and have a match with Bray Wyatt. And they tore the house down. But it's Brian Danielson. I knew the match would be awesome. Because, I, I mean, I already believed he was one of the best wrestlers I've ever seen from his Ring of Honor stuff. But I was surprised at how over he was. And if there was one guy who I never expected to get over in the WWF just because he had all the things going against him. He was not a typical promo. He wasn't like an over-the-top type Cena promo or rock. And he was small. He's like 5'8 and 180 pounds. And I was watching in real time the crowd completely rebel against WWE <laughs> and get behind this Brian Danielson. And I was so happy because I, I loved Brian Danielson uh, in Ring of Honor, but I never thought he was going to be anything but a mid-carder in WWE. And here he is, the most over guy in the show. And I was so, so pleased uh, and so disappointed when he wasn't in the Rumble. And so I thought, they can't, with the, how over this guy is, they cannot... They cannot ignore this. They have to put him in the main event of WrestleMania. And it would be insane not to. Uh, this would be like seeing Stone Cold Steve Austin at his peak and putting him in the opening match. And Brian felt like a legit overstar. And I caught on with him. And it ended up sticking for a bit. I, I watched WWE probably off and on. Or, well, not off and on, pretty much consistently for about three or four years. And uh, I added New Japan to the mix in 2015 with New Japan World. And uh, New Japan is my favorite promotion. Um, and then it, I started to kind of get away from it when they did the next brand split. And it was the same reason I stopped watching and had a harder time watching after high school. Um, I couldn't keep up with the two pay-per-views a month and the two shows. I just couldn't do it. I was too busy with real life. And the brand split kind of did it again to me. I, I never liked the brand split because, uh, especially post uh, high school, because I just didn't have the time to watch everything. It's the same reason why I stopped watching UFC. It was too much content for me to consume, and uh, I would much prefer one weekly TV show that makes it a little bit easier. Um, but, anyways, uh, I started to get a bit annoyed with the decline in booking. Um, not that I... I actually love Roman Reigns as a wrestler, but when he was being pushed as a top babyface, it was just turning me off. Because it was so clear he was he should have been a heel. And ironically, they've learned that in the pandemic era, and he's an amazing heel right now. 
but I, I don't watch WWE anymore. Uh, the turning point for me was Hell in a Cell 2019 with Bray Wyatt and Seth Rollins. I think that was the turning point for a lot of people. That match sucked. It was so bad. Um, I, I don't think I ever buried a show as hard as I did uh, when I wrote the recap for Daily T- DDT and that. I'll, I'll get into when I started writing in a second. But I uh, at that point, I was like, I'm not watching the weekly TV anymore, and I'm not watching the pay-per-views unless there's a match that interests me. I'm done. And it, But it wasn't just that. Uh, around this time, too, they, they announced the Saudi Arabia deal. And at first, I was like, I don't like it. It's morally questionable, but I can still watch the product. And then uh, when the um, Kagashi... Uh, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, when uh, when he was murdered by the Saudis. And WWE still went anyways. And then even a week after that, or a few weeks after that, in December, this is all in 2019, they made a dismemberment joke on TV where, where uh, Stephanie McMahon said something like, uh, dismemberment wasn't a, a good motivator or something like that. And I thought... How tone deaf is this company? I am done. And I canceled my network. I haven't signed up for it since. Um, except for when a friend a- I did a friend did ask me to watch the Royal Rumble with them this this past year. Uh, and I did watch that. And I did watch WrestleMania in 2020 and Royal Rumble in 2020. So I've watched three WWE shows since then. And, but that was the turning point for me. Uh, morally, I, I couldn't do it. It's okay if someone else can. I, I no judgment from me in that regard. If you still want to watch WWE, you still love WWE, I am more than happy for you. Uh, I, I actually, I'm actually very happy for you that you can watch it because it, uh, it was not easy for me to make that choice. Um, because, uh, the WWE was such an important part of my childhood. Uh, I watched wrestling all the time. And it wasn't just WCW. Like The WWF was a huge part of my childhood. My first live wrestling show was WWF. And uh, when I went to uh, New York in 2019 for WrestleMania weekend, I went to the Ring of Honor and New Japan show. I went to MLW. I went to, start, went to stardom. I went to Kaiju Big Battle, which is a comedy show. And I had fun at all of them, and I wish I could have went to WrestleMania and had fun there, but it was like, I just don't see the appeal. I still had the network at that point, but uh, the idea that even when I wasn't watching consistently from, say, 2005 until 2014, I still went to house shows that came to my town. I went to WWE house shows every time they came to my town. Uh, I, and I wasn't watching I like I knew next to nothing about the product, but I went to the house shows every time because I was having a lot of fun at those shows. And house shows to this day, if they ever return, I probably still go uh, because they're a lot of fun. And I, anyways, w- with that being said, 
it, it's just hard for me at that point. But like WWE was a really important part of my life. Uh, not like the most important thing or anything like that. It was just a big part of the entertainment that I consumed. And so to say I'm not watching anymore was actually very difficult. Um, and I and but if you can watch that product and love it, I am so happy for you. <laughs> Uh, I might bury it sometimes as we talk here on a weekly basis, but that doesn't mean I don't want to love it. Uh, I think the guy, the people who love it the most are the ones that bury it the, the, the fastest, though, because they know what a good storyteller Vince McMahon can be when he buys all in. Not to Not to step on your words here, but when he buys all in, you get these incredible stories in just the last... Uh, I got back in in 2016, and I'd say probably the last two years, you can tell that he's just, he's not, this is not his primary focus. The storytelling is just not where it needs to be. He's not the same booker he used to be. Um, He, I mean, even in the, the doldrums of the 90s, there was still some really solid stories being told. Uh, the rise of Shawn Michaels to the championship was a great story. Uh, Bret Hart is that tenacious, never-give-up guy who always fights for the right thing until he turned heel, which was also a stroke of brilliance, uh, the, the double turn with Austin. Uh, and, and then you go back to the 80s, you have Hogan Savage. That was awesome. That was a, a work of art in terms of storylines. Probably some of the best stories WWE has ever told. Um like Vince, Vince is the greatest promoter of all time. There's absolutely no question about that. Um, his booking, had, I wouldn't say he was the greatest booker of all time, but he was a good booker for a long time. Uh, if the Attitude Era stuff, a lot of the undercard really sucked, but Russo was writing a lot of that, and the main event was Vince. Vince and Pat Patterson, and not all of that was good, but you have Steve Austin and The Rock and Triple H and uh, other guys being up, uh, moving up and down, Undertaker, Kane, and all this kind of stuff. But you look at 1997, in particular that year, you have Brett turning heel, Austin becoming the biggest babyface in the company, you have Shawn Michaels becoming a degenerate, you have Triple H moving up the card, you have Undertaker feuding with Kane, which... I a lot of people don't. I and I'm not a big fan of the supernatural stuff in wrestling. But when they did Kane versus the Undertaker, two brothers fighting, that was a, a really well told story, especially right up to the debut of Kane and Hell in a Cell. Uh, they did Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels during that time, and Shawn uh, Shawn killed Take. This all started their feud. It was a fatal four way, and it to determine the WWF champion and Bret Hart ducked out of the way of a chair shot from Sean and Sean killed Taker with the chair shot. And they spent the next few months with Undertaker trying to get back at Sean for costing him the title. And every time Taker would go after him, Sean would get away. He'd run, he'd run, he'd run, he'd run. And then you had hell in a cell. Sean couldn't run anymore except he found a way to run to the top of the cage, but he had still had nowhere to run, so Taker threw him off the cage. And then you have Sean bleeding everywhere because he's finally getting uh, his... The baby face is finally getting his uh, revenge on the heel. And I, I don't support chair shots to the head anymore, especially in retrospect. 
But in the storyline in this, Sean has been avoiding the chair shots from Taker for months. And Taker hauls off and cracks him with a chair right in the head, finally getting revenge. And it was like, that's a good story. It's a really good story. Uh, and so Vince, Vince is 100% capable of telling good stories. Uh, I don't know if he can do it anymore. So it, it's really sad to see where WWE has gone in that regard. I am I'm very happy that they're making lots of money. I just wish they would start making new fans again. It it certainly feels like in the last couple of years that Vince has become more of an action figure collector, wanting to get all of the guys that he heard, you know, Hunter mentioned, oh, this guy did something really cool over the weekend in California, or this guy did something really cool over the weekend in, you know, Connecticut with, uh, you know, any of the indie promotions. And he just, he wants to pluck them up and put them in his performance center so that he can say he's the one who has them. So that the, not so that the other kids don't, just because he wants to be the one to have them. He doesn't care about AEW. I genuinely believe he doesn't care about AEW. He leaves that rivalry to Hunter and Sean and all those guys down there at NXT. He just wants to be able to say, yeah, I understand that Andrade was the greatest wrestler of the last, like, half decade in Mexico, and I've got him on my roster. What's he doing? Absolutely nothing, but he's on my payroll. I sign a check every week. I I think uh, I think that's mostly true. Uh, I don't I think Vince cares about AEW in that he doesn't want any of his guys to go there. Because Randy Orton used it to get the best deal of his career. He told Vince, I'm negotiating with AEW, and he got a multi-million dollar a year deal. Good for Randy Orton. Edge did the same thing. Good for Edge. Uh, And he is signing people to six-figure contracts just to keep them from going to AEW. Okay, great. You know what? That's good. You're making more money. I am happy for the wrestlers in that. That is very good for the wrestlers. Uh, AEW's existence alone being a financially stable promotion that is offering good money. uh, The first time that a promotion's been able to do that since WCW, at um, at least in the United States. And that is very good for the wrestling business. Whatever you feel about AEW as a promotion, even if you don't watch it or you don't like it, it's just not your cup of tea, that's fine. That's fine. There's different types of wrestling for everyone. But AEW existing is really good for the wrestling business because that means wrestlers will get paid more, there is better competition, people will be negotiating over contracts, and the fact that we have promotions like Ring of Honor signing people to deals, and we have New Japan signing people to deals. We have MLW signing people to deals, although they're not as obviously not as good as what WWE would offer. Um, Impact, the NWA. I mean, having these places and options to go work for wrestlers. Uh, it's in some ways, it's the best it's been in 20 years. Uh, the industry isn't as hot as it was 20 years ago, but. Right now, wrestling is in a healthier place probably than it's been since WCW died. And so having all these places to work is really good. Uh, And I I do think Vince wants to keep people away from those places, which is why people are getting better deals. Um, But I also don't think Vince really saw anything in Andrade. Uh, But more specifically, 
Paul Heyman had a vision of pushing Andrade, and because Vince didn't come up with it, I think he doesn't like it. And so that's why he de-pushed Andrade. Maybe he thinks he's talented in the ring, but he has no charisma because he doesn't speak English well. I don't know. Uh, Vince is a weird man. Um, we know Andrade's an unbelievable worker. And if you've ever seen him as La Sombra, or any of the, heck, heck, his NXT work, or with Zelina cutting a promo for him, since he can't speak English. Uh, but even then, like uh, look at AEW this past week. Or past few weeks, Pentagon Jr. has been cutting great promos, and they're translated for him by an, uh, an interpreter. Pentagon's still cutting great promos. Don't have to speak English. But, uh, anyways, all that to say, uh, I'm still a big wrestling fan. Uh, I, I'm just not... I, I shouldn't even say I'm not a WWE fan. I am a WWE fan. I always will be. I just can't watch it right now. And I don't know when that will change. Uh, I do... Well, actually, we'll get into that. We'll get into that when we talk about Fastlane. I'll talk about something that is actually very interesting at WrestleMania. One good thing from that show that I, I, I think... That I have to see at least that one match. But you we'll see. Be the, you might be the first person I've talked to about Fastlane, and we haven't even talked about it yet that came away excited for WrestleMania after... Because you didn't watch the show, correct me if I'm wrong. You just... You saw our Slack channel and saw what people were talking about. So you have no right. real, like, visual touchstone for that show. But something was mentioned in that Slack channel that got you excited for WrestleMania. One thing, yes. Only one. The rest of the show, I think, was probably utter crap based on what everyone else said. <laughs> uh, but I am uh, genuinely curious now to find out what it was that it, that you saw that made you go, oh, okay, WrestleMania might be actually interesting. And I, I cannot wait. This is the amazing part about it. Like, if they do a well enough job in the next three weeks, there is a chance... I will watch WrestleMania. Wow. There's a chance. We shall see. Uh, it was the same thing last year. I was like, it's in the pandemic, so I have to watch it just to see what they do. Like, right. that, that was my reasoning for watching the show. I was like... and Honestly, into it was one of the best manias in the last, I would say, five years. I thought Night One was really good. Uh well, I wouldn't say really good. I thought Night One was good considering the circumstances. I didn't like Night Two very much. But Night Two, correct me if I'm wrong. Night Two was Charlotte Rhea, right? Uh, no, that was Night One. Oh, that was okay. Yeah. yeah, Charlotte Rhea, I had issues with, but I loved and I I waxed poetically about it for about fifteen hundred words on Daily DDT. I loved the Firefly Funhouse match. I thought it was exactly <laughs> what Bray should have been doing the entire time. That was uh that was night two and uh I hated that match. <laughs> you hate mystical stuff in wrestling and yet you're one of the few guys I know who's as big of a Lucha Underground fan as I am. Well which makes no sense to me. It, it's That's not, all mystical bullshit. Uh, it, it's not that I hate the mystical stuff in wrestling. It's that I don't think Bray is good at it. Um, I, actually, that's probably not even true. Uh, it's I don't think I don't think the way WWE is doing it with Bray is good. 
like some of the Undertaker stuff was really really bad that I didn't like. Uh, I, I go back and I, I've watched uh, right now in the middle of 1994 and they're doing the two Undertaker thing, which is whatever. It's not a good match. Okay. Uh, the they they did the Undertaker dies and rises to heaven at the Royal Rumble or something like that, and it, it's hilarious that I, I like that 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 was hilariously bad. It, it was really bad, but the stuff with Kane and Taker, not all of that was bad. Some of that was really good, but then the stuff with Taker trying to embalm Steve Austin alive, okay, that wasn't good. So there's like I think there's a balance to be found there. Like, I liked uh, when Kane did the Buried Alive stuff with Undertaker, and for four months, every time Kane would try to do something, there'd be the Undertaker's, uh, the Undertaker's bell going off. And he'd pause and freak out. Okay, I like that. I did. I actually really like that, and leading to the Undertaker returning at WrestleMania 20 as the Undertaker. The Undertaker, not the, um, not the biker. Yeah, exactly. So I, it, I'm not opposed to supernatural stuff in wrestling. Um, it just has to be done really well, and I'm not well. And actually, my issue with the Firefly Funhouse match wasn't the segment itself. It was that it was advertised as a match. If it was advertised as a confrontation or something like that, I was expecting a wrestling match, and I didn't get that. That was not a wrestling match. If it was John Cena enters the Firefly Funhouse for a confrontation with the Fiend, okay, okay, I, I could see what was going. There were elements of it I really liked, like there were creative. It was, I thought it was very creative, um, but I I didn't think I I was looking for something that it wasn't. Well, with based on how they advertised it, I expected not a straight wrestling match, but I expected a wrestling match. And really what ended up happening was just a series of cutscenes. Like uh, like video game cutscenes. Which, again, is fine. But I would have rather have it not been advertised as a match. I know that sounds very nitpicky. Uh, but I would have been less disappointed with it if it was... Um, if it was advertised as a confrontation instead. If that makes any sense. It does... I see where you're coming from. I, I disagree with your premise that Bray is bad at this. Uh, I think the moments of his character since his debut that have been brilliant have been all Bray, and the parts that have fallen flat uh, have been when Vince gets his hands get on it. Or and, the writers. Yeah, they, yeah. they get in there. I think yeah, that's fair. About. Uh, I think that's fair. Um because if given the opportunity, I, I believe wholeheartedly that Bray would have played this, like slow played the Fiend as this like Chucky nightmare. I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of character, which they did a little bit, but they got away from it way too quick for my liking. The whole... The whole allure of horror movies and what he likes about horror films is that you know something is going to go wrong, you just don't know when. And the right. way they telegraphed his like consumption by the fiend, Bray White's ine inevitable death, and the fiend's consumption of him 
as a person and becoming just the fiend as a character, Bray Wyatt no longer existing, I feel like was telegraphed way too much and the audience knew what to expect. And that just kind of killed that turn for me. I think that's part of it. Um, so when, when I say I don't like the fiend, uh, I'm not referring to, to Bray Wyatt himself, like the person. Uh, I think he's very smart creatively. Uh, he has a lot of good ideas. I don't know if he had more creative freedom away from Vince if these ideas would be better or not, because we don't really have any... Well, we don't have any evidence otherwise, other than what has been displayed on TV. Um, I really liked The Fiend at the start. I really liked it, actually. I thought the Firefly Funhouse was incredibly entertaining. I didn't quite know where it was going uh, when it started, but the problem was, I'm, I think Bray had an idea where it was going, and he seeded a lot of different things in there. Like, um, oh, which which character is it that he uh, that gets killed all the time in the funhouse? Uh, Huskins, the the pig. Is it the pig? Uh, I thought it. Might, I thought it was the bunny. Ramblin oh, rabbit. you're right. It is. It is Ramblin' yeah. Rabbit. They've, they've Rat- only killed uh, the the pig once. They've killed the rabbit all the time. That's true. Right. And every time that he would end up being killed, he was saying like, "I know what the funhouse really is," mm-hmm. and we never had an answer to that. It was dropped. And I think that was because Vince decided, Oh, we got to put him in the main event, pal! <laughs> and and uh, that led to Hell in a Cell. And oh, Lord. I, I think they, had, they got away from what Bray's original vision was. And Bray is working within the confines of what Vince gives him. As best he can. So none of this is really against Bray himself. Uh, I think the presentation of The Fiend since Hell in a Cell has been awful. Um, I don't blame Wyndham Rotunda uh, for that. You know, the the man behind the character. Uh, I think he is an average wrestler with an incredible amount of charisma and a, a great creative mind. But I think in the environment of WWE, he is never going to be able to achieve what he could otherwise. The current environment in WWE. Maybe in the 90s, he would have been better. Maybe even in the early 2000s when there was a little bit more freedom. But as Vince gets older, he gets more and more controlling of the product. Uh, You can almost see his vice grip on every detail of the product grow year by year. And... I think if he had more creative freedom, I think The Fiend could be something that is really good. Where it stands currently, it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out in front of fans come WrestleMania. I don't think they're going to get the reaction that Vince expects. Because somehow Bray Wyatt is the babyface in this feud. When he kidnapped Alexa Bliss and brainwashed her. (laughs) But I mean, 
Bray being the baby face on this feud, I be- I think personally speaks volumes to the skill of Alexa Bliss and the skill of Randy Orton that Alexa is able to be this brainwashed and like straight up like Stockholm syndrome victim of an abduction and yet you still you can't help but root for her man you can't help but be like yeah kick his ass this will be great I want both of them I I want both of them to go away I'm on Randy Orton's side oh no I I, I, I do not think Alexa is good in this role I think this is one of the worst usages of her they've ever done personally uh, from everything I've seen, and, I, and, I, and I've watched, I have watched clips of this. I have actually gone out of my way to watch it, and I do not understand why people like it. Uh, I, I'm okay if you do, fine, but I, I do not, I don't think at WrestleMania that he's going to get cheered, uh, and I don't think she's going to get cheered. Uh, we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, and if I'm wrong, I will gladly admit that I was wrong. But the segments that Bray has main evented chosen and they've promoted the whole shows for The Fiend and Alexa Bliss have died in the ratings. To me, that's a pretty good indicator that people are not into it. But, again, live crowds are a different animal. And we're going to have 10,000 people-ish, or up to 25,000, both nights for WrestleMania. Could be a different story. Uh, I'm just, I'm very interested to see how that plays out. But the the stuff with The Fiend does right now does not appeal to me in any way. Uh, I love Lucha Underground. But Lucha Underground, part of why, and this is where, where I'll... Well, before we move on to like how I became a writer and stuff like that, um, because we kind of got off on a tangent here, <laughs> uh, but the the part of why I struggle with the fiend, especially, is because it's so jarring compared to the rest of the product. In Lucha Underground, everything's sci-fi, start to finish. You watch that show, a guy doing time travel, a, a guy teleporting, a guy resurrecting from the dead. That's just standard form. Like uh, I, science fiction is actually my one of my favorite genres of uh, television and fantasy. Th- th- those two are way up there. I'm a comic book geek to the core. Uh, Batman is my favorite comic book character. I have seen comic book characters resurrected from the dead constantly. Uh, I I have no problem with supernatural stuff in storytelling. But I I wanted to be consistent with the rest of the product. And I think a product where Bobby Lashley is a champion saying, I'm the most real guy in the world, versus The Fiend, it's a very jarring contrast. One is based in realism, and one is complete science fiction. And they don't really mix very well. And I think this is WWE trying to be this variety show that has a little bit of everything, but it has no defined core. It has no defined product that it draws from. It just does whatever it's whatever it wants, segment to segment, and each segment is self-contained. And they, they don't really have any consequences on each other. So the realistic segments are in their own little corner. 
and then you got the Bray Wyatt segments here, and then you had the Bobby Lashley segments over here, and they're all self-contained. They don't really cross over. They have no effect on each other. And I'm sorry, but Bray Wyatt doing creepy stuff and magic and all those things should alarm the entire company. Instead, it's only concentrated on his feuds. Like, shouldn't Bobby Lashley be worried that there are people walking around vomiting black goo? Like, <laughs> it's just, it's very inconsistent with each other. That, that's what I, It's an inconsistent presentation, and that's why I have a lot of trouble with it. If it was in Lucha Underground, I would probably like it a lot more. Because it's consistent. If that makes any sense. It does. That's that's a def- that's definitely fair. Uh, and I'm not even saying like everything that they're doing is terrible. Like self-contained, some of it's actually really good, in my opinion. Uh, I now when I watch WWE, that's not what I would watch WWE for. I watch it for wrestling. Who would have thought I watch a wrestling show for wrestling? Um, but it's, it's interesting because even when you go back to Lucha Underground, they had, that show was 99% wrestling. It still had crazy, wacky sci-fi stuff and all this kind of stuff, but it was still a wrestling show, uh, fundamentally. It just weaved science fiction seamlessly into it. And I, I, I just always have to ask, what's the end game? with the fiend here and i know vince has no end game because he doesn't know what he's doing tomorrow he's probably forgotten what he did yesterday uh, i mean i mean we we know that <laughs> he'll announce something on smackdown for smackdown and it just doesn't happen with no explanation <laughs> like this happens all the time and so uh what's the end game here like what where are you going with this why are you doing this and he never asked that question uh, and that's the kind of the problem I have with the fiend. It's again, none of it is against any of the performers themselves. None of it. Um, it's against the presentation. No, and I think that's a very valid uh, criticism, and it makes a lot of sense when you get into like not only your history with wrestling, but the stuff that you watch now. Like you're a huge NWA guy. That's yes. Their current stuff. You're a big. New Japan guy, you're a big AEW guy. All of these brands like have their moments where they go weird and wacky and strange kind of like in the in for the NWA the question mark did not make any logical sense. He was awesome a, though. <laughs> he was hilarious. He was my favorite part of Tuesday nights. Yeah. Uh you know, rest in peace. But like there's a, a sense of realism that for better or for worse the WWE seems to either play into way too much or not play into at all. And there's no real exactly. middle ground in it, the current it, era. Exactly. It's like, just choose to be something. And, and this comes back to the problem when Vince defined pro wrestling as sports entertainment. He moved away very strongly from, and you can actually trace it, like going back to the eighties, the WWF was a pro wrestling show. It had wacky, colorful characters but it was a pro wrestling show through and through and then they it started to get a little wackier in the 90s 
and then it uh, did a sharp turn back to pro wrestling for the most part in the Attitude Era, at least in the main event. The undercard was full of junk that was not, I would never consider pro wrestling. Um, and then since then, they really since the WCW died, he's slowly gotten away from what his product, the heart of what his product has always been, which is wrestling in the ring. And it, but part of it's reflected in him hating the term wrestling, which I don't understand. Uh, but like it, it, everything, right down to the verbiage from the announcers to everything, is it's so overproduced. It's so far away from what this program rig- originally was. And you look at Raw, Raw now, or and even SmackDown to a certain extent. Although Roman Reigns has helped alleviate a lot of that um, as top heel. Um, it doesn't know what it is. It has forgotten what it is. And pro wrestling can have sci-fi. It can have all these things. But you have to do it the right way. And if you have no identity in your product, there's nothing for people to grab onto outside of occasional segments here and there, rather than uh, the product as a whole is not something you can really invest in. And so what even now, today, you go on Twitter, you'll find most of the fans are invested in one or two or three wrestlers. They're not invested in the entire product. And that's part of the problem with the identity of WWE. They, they don't know what they are anymore. They're, not, they're certainly not pro wrestling anymore. They have wrestling in their shows, but they are not a pro wrestling company. They are whatever this, you know, kind of like steam, you can't grab it, whatever sports entertainment is. And Lucha Underground had an extremely defined identity right away. It was Even if all the stories didn't appeal to you, you at least knew what Lucha Underground was when you watched it. Uh, Ring of Honor has a very established identity. The NWA has an established identity. New Japan has an established identity. Uh, AEW does, too. And that's one of the things that's missing with WWE's presentation, is that they have no established identity. They just do stuff. And each segment, as um, Patch has said in our daily DDT Slack chat, you just have to separate each segment into its own little container and take it that way. And I can't do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad he can. I, I'm so glad he can, because that probably makes it a lot easier to enjoy. But I'll be watching the show and go, what was that? Why is that happening? How does this relate to this? And those are questions Vince doesn't think about. Vince doesn't even... I, uh, Vince thinks one segment at a time completely unrelated to the previous segment. He doesn't even think show to show. Like he doesn't I'm quite sure he doesn't even think five the like five minutes to five minutes. How do these flow? He just does stuff. And that's where the, the problem comes with WWE, at least from my perspective on, on it. I maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> like and, and when we get to WrestleMania, we're gonna see how right or wrong I am. Especially when it comes to the fiend. Um it'd be interesting. Uh, and if I'm wrong, I'll gladly admit I'm wrong. Like I, I don't, I don't have no problem saying that. I don't know everything. For goodness' sake, I'm just human, 
and I have my opinions, and my opinions are are not gospel. They're not. They're not. Uh, you know, they're not the uh, like the law of gravity or anything like that. So it's just my opinion, and whether or not someone agrees with it, that's okay. That's okay. Absolutely, man. Well, why don't we get into the wrestling on this wrestling podcast? What do you say? Yes, sir. And uh, I guess that's where I'll say I, I write for Daily DDT, and I write for the Wrestling Observer website. And uh, I started... One of the things you asked me before we talked was, what do I, or how did I get into that? And the answer is almost completely by accident. Oh, oh, this is like a five-minute story at most. Uh, in 2014, when I started watching WWE again, I thought, I kind of went with the network there, and I, I got the network, and I decided, I'm going to watch old wrestling. Has anyone really reviewed old, like all the old wrestling shows and written reviews, like uh, every ECW, WCW, and uh, WWF show, and compared which ones were better through that entire run, starting in 1993 to 2001, which works out quite well because ECW started their television show in 93, Raw started in 93, and WCW Saturday Night was on TV. So I was like, I'll just start right there, and I'll just start watching throughout the whole thing, and I'll write my own little reviews of the shows and what I thought and which show was better. And as I was doing this, uh, I got into New Japan and things like that. I, I didn't actually write as much as... I didn't write a lot. Uh, I wrote off and on because I was very busy in 2014. Um, I started a second master's degree in the fall of 2014. But in 2015, a late... 2015, I believe, a spot opened up, it could be 2016 even, uh, a spot opened up on the Wrestling Observer website to recap New Japan. I applied. I did not get it. Uh, but they had my name on file in case uh, in case they ever had an opening for something else. And then Daily DDT, um, Kevin, Kevin, the former editor, uh, DM'd me and messaged me and said, hey, he saw my Twitter and that I wrote some stuff about wrestling and he saw how I thought about wrestling through my tweets and he thought, maybe you could be a good writer for us. And that's how I got started at Daily DDT and that was three years ago now. And it wasn't long after that that I got a message from uh, Josh Nason of the Wrestling Observer website asking me to recap Lucha Underground for them. And since then, I've been recapping them. And when El Lucha Underground ended, I started recapping um, uh, at the NWA. When the NWA started, I fill in here and there for everything else. But now I do the NWA weekly for them. And I have recapped every single episode of NWA Power for them. And every NWA pay-per-view. Uh, and for Daily DDT, I do a bit of everything. Uh, if, uh, if I can, I'll recap a show pretty much if they ask me to doesn't matter what it is even if it's wwe i will probably recap it although i haven't recapped that in a long long time hell in a cell was the last one <laughs> in 2019 and uh, i've been writing for wrestling sites ever since and it's a nice little hobby 
Uh, it's not something I intend to do professionally or anything like that, but I never expected I would be writing for Daily DDT, let alone the Wrestling Observer website, uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, it's, that's not that much different than my own story, just uh, with the, the Wrestling Estate, which is a smaller site than uh, Daily DDT, but they're, they're coming up in a big way. And I was just kind of tweeting out my predictions for pay-per-views and writing things and throwing them up on like a little blog page. And the editor there kind of reached out and was like, hey, you want to you know, throw this kind of stuff up there? And it, it's been kind of off to the races since then. That was two-ish years ago now, a little over two years. It's yeah. crazy to think about. Yep. And uh, it's fun. I, I, I do it for fun. Uh, it's not something I... I don't like I and anytime anyone reads my recaps to I tell them this it's just my opinion don't take it too seriously <laughs> yeah no it's it's this is easily one of the most fun things I've ever done for a job if you even really count watching the things I would have watched anyway a job but it's it's a lot of fun man this is this is a good way to spend an evening for sure absolutely so yeah let's get into that wrestling from the past week Absolutely. So we're going to kick it off with the NWA's return with their back for the attack pay-per-view and then their subsequent uh, starting of their uh, TV show exclusively through Fight TV. Yes. So uh, NWA back for the attack was a good show. Um, Not a great show, but a good show. It was really solid. Uh, We saw some news stars made or attempt they attempt to make um slice boogie debuted and defeated jordan clearwater jack stain and crimson and uh, it looks like they have some plans for him going uh he was with um uh, championship wrestling from hollywood with david marquez he worked for them before so uh it makes sense that he would transition to the nwa even though marquez is not a part of the nwa anymore uh Tyrus defeated Kratos in a horrific match. It was so bad. So, yeah, so I've, bad. I've heard, I haven't been able to watch back for the attack yet, but I heard that this match was, it was one where it was like, oh, you, you want to look away, but you don't. It was like a train wreck where you, you could use it as your piss break, but you almost worry that you're going to miss one of these guys doing something horrific to the other if you like, Poor- got up and walked away. Poor Kratos. Uh, he's he's a good worker. Tyrus is not. That match sucked. Uh, and you're 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 not going to hear me say like super well, negative stuff like that uh, all the time. But that match was really bad. Uh, I if we go on the the uh, the star scale of five being the highest and minus five being the lowest. This was probably right in the middle as a dud. Jeez. It was it was bad. Like it was just bad. It wasn't the worst match I've ever seen. There are many others that go into that category, um, like the uh, previously mentioned Fiend and Seth Rollins match. I think I give it minus three stars. <laughs> oh, so bad, uh, but I don't think it was as bad as that. But man, it was not good. It, it was a poor. Uh, Tyrus was out of shape. 
looked like he could barely walk. It's just, ugh. Um, that poor dude at that point. I mean, I get needing a paycheck and wrestling being the only thing you know how to do, but, I mean, if you can barely get in the ring, that's, and he's been, that's a problem. He's he, Well, and once he was in there, he it's funny, because he, when he walked out to the ring, it looked like he couldn't move. Then he was in the ring, and he was fine, at least in terms of his movement, mm-hmm. which often happens to, like, say, Tetsuya Naito uh, in New Japan, who often looks like he can't walk, and then he gets in the ring and has a five-star match. But Tyrus is not Tetsuya Naito. And uh, this was not good. Um, Tyrus won. I questioned the decision to bring him in, especially where he's been out of wrestling for so long. But I'll see where it goes. Uh, They did use him in power. Um, But we'll get to that when I talk about power. Uh, We saw a match with the Pope against Tom Latimer for the NWA Television Championship. Uh, Not a bad match. Um, I didn't think... I didn't think it was a great match by any stretch, but it was very it was good. It was good. Not nothing wrong with it, very solid. They went to a time limit draw, which means the Pope did successfully retain his title, uh which counts because they're doing this in the NWA right now where if you win 7 matches in a row, you uh, as a television champion or you defend your title successfully 7 times in a row, I should say you get to cash the title in for a shot at the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. So he's won, won and oh, technically, in, uh, in retaining the title. Uh, there was some uh, really good spots in the match. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a good match. Um, nothing outstanding, but a, a good solid match from two guys who have been wrestling for a long time. So, uh, then we got uh, Camille and Thunder Rosa, which was uh, not bad. Uh, again, um, Camille botched a few moves, uh, and Camille is not ready for a long match. Uh, she's she's not bad at all. She uh, like that this match was still a a good match. I I I actually had it ranked as a good match, but I just think it went too long for Camille. Thunder Rosa sold like crazy for her, mm-hmm. and and made her look like a million bucks at every chance she she, uh, she got. Uh, Camille had to hit her with two spears to pin her. Uh, it took two finishers to beat Thunder Rosa. So Thunder Rosa walked out looking strong as well, and Camille looked like a monster setting up her eventual match with Serena Deeb for the NWA Women's Championship. Yeah, I was going to ask about uh, Camille, because by the end of the first run of the NWA, she was very much just a part of uh, the stable that, oh goodness, I, every time, it, it's a common podcast curse, every time I start talking and making a point, all names and salient details go right out of my head. But uh, <laughs> Strictly business. Yes, she was just kind of in Strictly Business, she wasn't really working she wasn't really doing anything but standing there looking scary and just getting in uh joe golly's face whenever he would try to ask her questions and just staring through him which was great you know if you are able to be a intimidating person without opening your mouth then by all means do that 
but it, it's good to hear that she's improving in ring and will eventually be an in ring fixture in their women's division. Yes, uh, right towards the the end before the pandemic of that run of NWA power, they were just starting to put her in the ring. She had a few squash matches. And she looked good in the squashes. And then they finally did a promo video where she spoke for the first time. And she talked about how she only speaks on her terms. And and how, you know, for years she was looked down upon because she was a woman and all this kind of stuff. And it was actually, as far as uh, artistic presentation goes in terms of wrestling, it was, it was brilliant. Uh, that, that video where she finally spoke. Uh, it was. It helped me understand her better. It helped me understand why she was choosing not to talk, because she was the one that was in control. She was the one that was powerful. She when no one was going to hold her back. And yeah, yes, she's a heel, but her that character now has a lot of depth to it because of that video. And now she does. She did talk on NWA Power on TV recently, and I still like the idea of her only talking through videos. Uh, I, I would refrain. She can cut promos, but keep it here. Like make it something special, so that w- when she talks, you know she means business. Otherwise, she doesn't really talk. She does, she lets her actions do the talking for her. Um, I think that's a way to go with, and I'm pretty sure that's actually how they're going to go with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the pr- presentation of Camille has been very good, very good from the NWA. Uh, the there was a, a moment on power which we'll get to once we're done through the pay-per-view where I thought, oh my goodness, they did everything right with her. Uh which was a little bit different from the pay-per-view. That match probably should have shaved about three, four minutes off of it, and it would have been a, a perfectly great match for to highlight Camille. Um I'd like to see her sent to AEW to work with uh QT Marshall and Dustin Rhodes in the Nightmare Factory because the things they have done for Brit Breaker and Tay Conti and uh, all the other women that are training there, and the men too, actually, Lee Johnson, uh, uh, the people who are training out of that gym are getting very good very fast. And so having her in that environment will probably help her improve as well, and maybe they can take advantage of a nice little... Uh, relationship between the two promotions. As Serena Deeb is an AEW star, but she's the current NWA Women's Champion. Um, I'd like to see uh, NWA, even if she never appears on Dynamite, just let her wrestle on Dark for a, f- a few months. Um, and just to help her season her a little bit and, and get her working with Dustin, especially Dustin Rhodes. Uh, who is a genius when it comes to structuring matches and helping people ma- uh, maximize the smallest parts of them uh, and and learning and teaching them to learn uh, lean on their strength uh, strengths instead of um, uh, instead of trying to uh, instead of exposing weaknesses in the ring but uh, but yeah absolutely uh, before they brought in rebel who is now Reba in uh, aw I, I was very vocal and very loud about saying that that should have been Camille's spot, especially if uh, the NWA wasn't going to be running during the pandemic. They should have brought in Camille to be kind of like this silent badass, like you're not going to come near Britt Baker and just like, 
yeah, just a way to protect Britt while she healed up, which Reba has done phenomenal with that position. I just I think it would have been a lot more believable uh, for like especially the the swole uh, feud if you had someone the size of Camille and with like the demeanor of Camille just like immediately putting her body between Swole and Britt Baker I think it would have given it a whole other level of credibility yeah that I uh, I like that idea I, I mean I like Reba a rebel <laughs> in the role that she's in right now um, I think she's really made the most of what she was given Absolutely. Uh, and uh, th- which is great. I mean, her and Britt Baker are clearly they clearly love what they're doing. They're having tons of fun. So it's worked out. But uh, Camille probably would have worked out too. But uh, anyways, on the pay per view, the next match was the NWA National Championship. Uh, Trevor Murdoch against Chris Adonis, who was the former Chris Mas- uh, Chris Masters in the WWE. Again, fine match. Nothing special. Uh, Murdoch won through out-wrestling him, which was an interesting story to tell. And then uh, Chris Adonis attacked him after the bell and choked him, and then he put on the master lock and hit a full Nelson slam and then locked on the master lock in a camel clutch position as the referees tried to break it up. And he Murdoch passed out and was left laying in the middle of the ring. Classic old-school angle. Nothing wrong with it at all. Uh, I liked it. And then uh, after that, we had the NWA World Heavyweight Championship match, uh, Nick Aldis against Aaron Stevens. And this was a good match. This was a really good match. Probably the best I've ever seen Damian Sandow slash Aaron Stevens look. Um, and they were doing this match to honor Joseph Hudson, otherwise known as Question Mark or Josephus. Uh, who passed away recently, uh, which was devastating for me because uh, I, I really enjoyed him on NWA Power. Uh, he was an unexpected highlight. Uh, not the best wrestler in the ring, but his his uh, he had just so much. He hit, especially his question mark. But even as Josephus, the guy just had charisma. Like there was something that drew you to him. And uh, it kind of sucks even more that he passed away now that we hear how good a guy he really was in real life. Um, they spent the whole pay-per-view turning Aaron Stevens' babyface and playing up that Hudson was a guy who helped him fall in love with wrestling again because he fell out of love with wrestling. He, he did not want to do this anymore. And Billy Corgan gave him a call and he thought, well, I'll give it a shot. One more shot. And he got paired up with Question Mark. And he was in love with the business again. Uh, and, he, and he reminded him that, you know, I am a professional wrestler and I can't get this out of me. Like, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And the promos he gave leading into this match with Nick Aldis, I, I could tell he was doing everything he could to put this match over as the biggest match of his career, which... In some ways, it is. Uh, I mean, it's not on the same grand scale as WWE, but in terms of importance for him, he put it all over as the most important match of his life. And because he did that, it felt like the most important match of his life. And uh, Nick Aldis, even as the heel, said, let's not forget, we are doing this for Joseph. 
And this is probably one of the best matches of Aaron Stevens' career, if you ask me. Uh, and they worked over each other, and Stevens, every second, you could read the pain on his face every time he failed to pin Aldis or failed to submit him. It was like it was eating him alive because he had to win this for uh, Josephus, for uh, Joseph Hudson. And every single near fall was like life and death for him. And, and really, the in-ring action <laughs> was nothing spectacular. But the story they told was so good. And Aldis finally got the win uh, through a... Um, uh, where did I have it here? Uh, Stevens uh, was working over the arm throughout the match, and he went for another arm breaker on Aldis. But Aldis blocked it and cradled Stevens, an exhausted Stevens, who at this point has given it his all, and finally pinned him. And then Stevens crawled to the corner and he had tears in his eyes and he was holding the question mark mask. And then Aldis told Stevens to stand up like a man and then they shook hands to cheers from everyone there. Then the fans chanted, thank you, Joseph, and it went off the air. A very good ending. Uh, and the show went off the air with um, Aaron Stevens saying, this one was for you, Sensei. Two question mark. It was very emotional. It was very emotional. Uh, and Great ending to the show. Uh, great match from Aaron Stevens. Great match from Nick Aldis. And uh, Nick Aldis did everything he could to try to make Stevens look good. Like, he sold like crazy. The story of the match psychologically was very, very good. Very old school. Uh, but the moves themselves and really the action itself wasn't anything that special. But I really liked this match still. Um... So that was back for the attack. Good show. Yeah, no, it, it sounds like a great start back in like into form for those guys because by the end of it, by the end of that first run, they were humming, uh, you know, just moving through the episodes with ease. And then for a lot of them, you know, for for a couple of people, uh, they were able to kind of make that transition over to AEW and keep working, keep, keep on TV and keep that muscle uh, strong. But for a lot of people, they've been just off, just kind of home waiting for the go ahead to come back and get back into it. So this, it, it sounds like it was just a really good, like ring rust kind of a show of just like, okay, there's going to be some hiccups. I'd, we'd rather there be hiccups here than, you know, on our weekly TV when people are giving us like that real shot of like, Hey, let's, let's make sure that these guys know what they're doing. So it, it sounds like it was a great show. Yeah. Uh, outside of the Tyrus match, uh, it was a very easy to watch show. There was nothing that was difficult about it. And, um, it's still in the same studio as it was, but they have the camera on the side of the stands now. So, okay. so that you are, you're looking at the announce desk and all that kind of stuff in the entrance. Uh, when you're watching the matches, you're not looking where the crowd would be. And they have production guys sitting where the crowd would be, cheering and booing. Oh, cool. And it's in this little studio, so you might just have five people doing it, and it sounds great. Because <laughs> like, it's in this little studio. Uh, it didn't sound all that different from a regular episode of NWA Power. Which... Kudos to them. They figured out how to do it. And, I mean, they had, they had 
they were chanting things, they were booing, they were cheering, they were hanging on every near fall, all this kind of stuff. Really good. Uh, and it, it, it was, um, it made me very happy to watch because uh, I missed the product. It's never been the best in-ring product, but the best part about the NWA is the way they tell their stories. They, they are so good at the promo level and it's just such a throwback in the best possible way. It's not all nostalgia. They still have a lot of, uh, you know, young talent. They have, a the ring, the in-ring action, like they have um, Matt Cross, M-Dog 20, uh, whatever you want to call him, um, Son of Havoc in Lucha Underground. He's obviously a high flyer, so he's doing all his regular high-flying stuff. It's, it's not like the in-ring product is necessarily dated, but the way they slow things down and they tell their stories, it, it feels like a Crockett show, but at the same time, it still feels modern as well. It's not like just a pure nostalgia kick. And uh, I, I liked it. I thought that pay-per-view was worth worth it. Um, it was nineteen ninety nine, I think, USD, US dollars. Absolutely worth it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It sounded, it sounds fantastic, and it's it's definitely one that I'm going to have to go back, and it, it's going to be my goal probably this weekend to go back and catch it on the replay and sit there and actually like allow myself to take in that show from start to finish. The, that's the thing I always always said about the NWA when I watched it. It's just so easy to watch. Like I'm never bored watching it. Uh, outside of the Tyrus match, everything was interesting. The in ring was fine. You're not going to get a five star match on this pay per view, but you're going to get a lot of decent to good wrestling. I can't complain about that. And you give me characters and stories I can invest in. Great. I, I'm I'm very very easy to keep happy with when it comes to wrestling. Give me characters and stories I can invest in, and some good in ring action. I don't I don't need a five star match. I just need some decent wrestling. And there you go. And that's all that show was: good promos, good characters, and decent wrestling. I'm happy. Uh, and I was very happy with that. Um, the episode of NWA Power uh, two days later was even better. Uh, and really, it didn't have anything special in the ring at all, except the main event was really good. Um, but the rest of the show was mostly squash matches. But the promos, my dude. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, should we get into power? Yeah, I think we absolutely should talk about power. Uh I'm going to be honest, Power is another one that I missed. This has been a very New Japan and WWE heavy week for me. Uh, so Power is one I missed. So I'm not going to be much help on this one. But I'm sure you will get plenty of payback when we go through the slog that was Fastlane here in a minute. <laughs> yes, yes. I'll let you cover <laughs> most of that. <laughs> uh, so the show opened with Joe Galley on commentary. Love him on commentary. Uh, he was he out. one of the best commentators in the world right now. I, I think it's between him, Kevin Kelly, and Tony Schiavone in terms of English commentators. Um, just Joe Galli, he makes you feel so welcome and like you're at home when you watch the show. Uh, it, it's like he's welcoming friends in to, to sit down and, and watch the wrestling show with him, which is exactly what commentary was in the 80s. So I love it. Uh, it it's very friendly. And Tim Storm was with him on commentary, and Tim Storm was outstanding. Uh, 
uh, and it's funny because I don't know. Tim Storm is such a this guy is so much better than he ever got in wrestling. He's fifty three years old now, mm-hmm. and he had a great run as NWA World World Heavyweight Champion at fifty. Uh, but like I, I looked when Billy Corgan bought the NWA, I was like, "Who's the? Ch- oh, it's a fifty-year-old Tim Storm. Who's this guy? This can't be good." And then they released uh, the Ten Pounds of Gold, and Tim Storm was awesome. Uh, just a great character, like a, a high school teacher who also happens to wrestle, and, and he's doing this because he really wants to be the world champion and all this kind of stuff. And it was just so well presented that I, I really, uh, he, he's one of the best baby faces in wrestling, still is. And he was on commentary, and he was telling all the stories of the matches from his own experience as a wrestler, and, and what these matches meant in the context of the NWA. He was fantastic on commentary on the pay-per-view and on NWA Power. And... It's a shame that we don't have um, Wade Barrett on commentary for them anymore because Wade Barrett was great. But Tim Storm's a great alternative. And you don't know, he's probably not fully retired in the ring. And so if someone gets a little too out of the way, he can jump back in there and wrestle again. And I'd like to see him have one more title shot before he retires as, a, as an in-ring competitor. But... Outstanding on commentary. And I don't even know if this is the first time he did commentary or not. Just outstanding. Uh, and then they had Velvet Sky, of all people, on commentary as well. And she was fine. She wasn't bad. Uh, she wasn't great. But she was mostly fine throughout the show. There were a few moments where I thought, she's probably better off, if she's not going to wrestle, probably better off in a backstage interview role. But they got Mae Valentine for that. And I guess they're just trying to, to mix it up and add some variety to it. And uh, maybe Vela Sky will join the in-ring aspect as well eventually. Um, which also makes me think, I would not be surprised if Bully Ray shows up at some point in NWA. Uh, which... He's still actually, signed with Ring of Honor, though, isn't he? No, he's not. Nope. Oh, okay. He's done with Ring of Honor. Um, if he came into the NWA... I think he'd fit in really well there with his promo ability. Mm-hmm. And the in-ring style is less high impact than what you would get in Ring of Honor. So he may be the perfect guy there to come in as a heel to, to mess around with stuff. Maybe even a perfect guy for Tim Storm to come out of retirement to wrestle. That could be interesting. I was going to say, but, if you wanted to make uh, Nick Aldis a baby face, I think... Uh, well, he would be the perfect kind of foil to be like, I, you are a bastard, but I am so much more of a bastard that we are going to make these people love you because you're beating me up. Yes. Yeah. Bully, Bully Ray would be perfect in that role. Uh, and, and actually, I shouldn't say Tim Storm is retired. I don't think he is. Uh, if he is, he hasn't made any formal announcement about it. But uh, I, yeah, like, and, who who better? Like he can come in. Heck, if Devon's contract ran up, or he, if he was one of those producers who were released, maybe Devon can show up. And we well, have Devon's t- doing. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Devon on the commentary team over in Impact now? Is he really? 
I believe so. Uh, let me double check that real quick. But because they with the last Impact pay per view, they switched up the uh, commentary team, and I kind of swore Devon's who they brought in. Really, that is interesting. Then, if it was Devon, um, okay. Well, you look that up. I'll continue recapping the show. Absolutely. Uh, so the show opened with them running down what was going to happen. Uh, Strictly Business came out, and better no what better way to start the show than with the NWA World's Heavyweight Champion. Uh, and they were talking about how they were having a six-man tag coming up, but they were short a wrestler. They only had Tom Latimer and Nick Aldis, and Camille wasn't going to wrestle against men in that. So, uh, But Latimer cut them off and wanted to talk about his uh, draw with the Pope, saying the Pope shouldn't call himself a real champion because uh, he didn't beat Tom Latimer. And then uh, Camille talked about uh, being the number one contender for the women's championship, and she said that the podium might not be able to hold all the gold that they're going to be carrying soon. And uh, Latimer then cut off uh, uh, Kyle Davis, the interviewer, again, and started ranting about Pope, and Nick Aldis tried to calm him down. And then Aldis said, the most important thing is that NWA's power is back, and it's time to celebrate. And then uh, an interesting note right here is that he said he did not condone the behavior of Chris Adonis on the pay-per-view uh, with what he did against Trevor Murdoch because he's only about strictly business, and that wasn't business. And Aldous said, Aldous said he, had a bro- he wanted to have a broom as a prop and uh, talk about the clean, sleep, the clean sweep at back for the attack, but Latimer didn't get the job done, and he didn't get what he deserved, which was to be the NWA TV champion. Uh, but he said, but it is what it is. Uh, two out of three ain't bad. And then he also promised that Camille would be women's champion. This was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, just setting up a lots of little things that are going to be cedar. Oh, okay. Uh, the, the last thing I got clear on my end was that he brought the, the broom for the clean sweep. Right, okay. Uh, but Vladimir didn't win, and uh, that that led to... Uh, he said Vladimir deserved to be the TV champion, but he wasn't. And then he promised that Camille would be the women's champion soon. So, that it was awesome. Absolutely awesome. Uh, then, next up, we had Camille against Alex Gracia, uh, who was recently on AEW, if I recall correctly. And Camille Squasher. Camille beat the crap out of her for about two minutes and then pinned her. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like like late Cena stuff where just like, okay, cool, five knuckle shuffle and you're done. So uh, this is the kind of match that Camille needs to highlight her. Because uh, Gracia went right after her, and uh, she went to Huracurana Camille. She ran up the ropes with like a Lucha-type Huracurana, and Camille caught her and just planted her in the middle of the ring with a powerbomb. <laughs> and uh, not long after that, she was stomping on her, and I think, I didn't, I don't know if I heard it properly... But I think Camille said, that's going to make a great gift right there. 
<laughs> loudly to the camera. It was great trash talking. And then she hit, put a torture rack on and spun her, sending a, a or a, threw her then. Yeah, so she had her in the submission, the torture rack. And then she pressed her over her head and pulled her down to slam her face first in the mat, then hit her a spoon, uh, with a spear soon thereafter to pin her. Great squash. Really good. Uh, did you find out who was on Impact Commentary? Yeah, so it is not Devon Dudley, but it is D'Lo Brown. So th- oh. I, I, I would like to think that's, that's a fair mistake to make on my part. Yes, yes. Well, they have very similar sounding names. Yes. So, um, so next up we had the Pope in an interview segment. And he talked about how he wasn't happy with the way he retained his title in the draw. But he survived. And survival's all that really matters in the end. And that means he successfully defended his title. He said that he was aiming to have six more successful defenses so that with the seven wins, he's going to challenge for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. Uh, He said he's going to go in there week in and week out and defend it and fight. But everyone who comes from him better be ready. Good promo. Uh, And then Austin Idol came out the legend Austin Idol, who was actually at the pay-per-view as well, uh, talking about how uh, Nick Aldis came to him for advice before he became champion, and how it was Idol's advice that led to him being champion. And Aaron Stevens came to him for advice before this championship match with Aldis, and uh, Aaron Stevens ended up having the match of his life against Aldis, even though he lost. And so... Austin Idol comes out with Tyrus. And Idol cuts a promo on Pope, saying he was lucky to stand in the same uh, same room as him. Idol then announced Tyrus is his new client, and he's now a manager for in the NWA, whereas previously he was just doing those uh, wacky advertisements and promos, uh, which the NWA has on NWA Power. They still have them, by the way. Uh, you know, whatever they were, uh, Tony Falk's tire irons and pancakes or whatever, <laughs> they, they, they still got those. Um, okay. uh, so Idol cuts this promo, and it was a really good promo. And he said, I made Nick Aldis, and if it wasn't for me, he wouldn't be NWA champion. He then promised to make Tyrus the next NWA World's Heavyweight Champion. And then Tyrus said Pope probably had questions, but to get answers, he has to go through Idol and they left. So I don't think he's actually going to be wrestling Aldous anytime soon. I think he probably will be wrestling Pope. Um, I don't like Tyrus, as I've mentioned before. But Austin Idol is his manager, talking for him for the most part. Not a bad idea. And Idol is still an incredible promo. I mean, what, what year are we watching? Is this like 19, 1981? Or is that... <laughs> But here's Austin Idol again on TV and uh, cutting a good promo. Uh, Then we had Fred Rosser against Matt Cross, Marche Rocket, in a triple threat for the uh, number one contendership to the TV title. And uh, Fred Rosser won. This was really good. Uh, Pope was joined to commentary for this because it's his title on the line. Uh, or going to be on the line against the winner. And 
roster made his NWA debut, and Pope called him Darren Young within three seconds on commentary, which made me laugh. <laughs> uh, Cross was smaller than the other two quite a bit, but he used his speed to stay with them. Uh, it's interesting seeing Fred Rosser now uh, from his work on NWA Strong. Or, uh, not NWA Strong, sorry. New Japan Strong. Uh, New Japan Strong? Yes, yes, New Japan Strong. Uh, and uh, his work here on NWA Power. This was his debut. It was really good. Uh, then Boogie Slice cut a promo backstage with Mae Valentine and said he didn't come to the NWA for just one match at back for the attack, but he did start his career right going 1-0. He said that he didn't have eyes on anyone in particular, but he will fight one, fight anyone. And then he said, well, actually, I have eyes on you, Mae, and he flirted with Mae Valentine. <laughs> nice. Just a simple little thing, set it up, and May was like, that's not very professional, let's, uh, let's move on. Okay. Uh, she didn't seem opposed to the flirting, though. It, it wasn't like it was uh, unwelcome. It was just like, let's let's talk off camera. Uh, then uh, Mike Perro debuted, and he defeated Jordan Clearwater. Uh, Clearwater got no offense in this match. Perro just killed him. Uh, he destroyed him with a full Nelson slam, then crushed him in the corner, and then hit a... Uh, the, one of those over-the-shoulder sit-out pile drivers for the win. Good squash. Uh, Thunder Rosa came out, and she cut a fantastic promo. She talked about how she wanted to get her championship back from Serena Deeb. She was disappointed that she lost it back for the attack, but she wasn't done. Uh, she thought the idea of Camille as the face of the company was disgusting. And as she was talking, Melina came out. And as we know, before power stopped, Melina and Thunder Rosa were feuding for a bit. And Melina said, while we have our differences, I still watched you, I still kept track of you, and I'm still really proud of what you've done. And she knew how it hurts to lose, and it's hard to come back from that, and that if Thunder Rosa ever needed anyone, Melina was there for her. And Rosa said that Melina did pave the road for her and was quite flattered that Melina was offering to help, but she could do things on her own. And then Melina reiterated, if she ever needed anything, she would be there even and even offered to manage her. Rosa said that was the past, and she earned what she did because she worked hard, and she didn't think she needed Melina's help. But this was another great seg segment, and it pushed forward some interesting storylines. Maybe Melina will end up managing Thunder Rosa. That's that's very cool. Uh, yeah, because the last time we saw Molina on NWA, they were like getting ready for a huge match between the two of them. Because uh, if I remember right, it, it's Molina and Marty Bell that were aligned with one another, and Thunder Rosa was very briefly aligned, and then kind of went off and did her own thing. Correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, Thunder Thunder Rosa was uh, briefly aligned with. Uh, with Marty Bell, or uh, Marty Bell and Melina, then broke off and did her own thing, and uh, Marty Bell has left the company since then. So uh, we won't be seeing her any longer uh, unless she signs a new contract. Right. Um, 
Strictly Business was in the main event, and they were against the Pope and the tag team champions Aaron Stevens and Kratos. And they introduced their mystery tag partner, Chris Adonis. And it seemed very hypocritical of Aldous to do this when he said he didn't approve of what Chris Adonis did earlier on the pay or did the to Trevor Murdoch on the pay-per-view. Um, this was a good match. Aldous condemned the actions of, of Adonis earlier against Murdoch, but welcomed him here as a tag partner. And the hypocrisy of the heels shown through here. And Tim Storm pointed it out right away. He said, man, Aldous, Aldous is going to do whatever it takes, and he's going to lie, and he's going to cheat, and he's going to come ac- pretend to be honorable, but then when it comes down to it, he's going to do what it takes to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, classic heel stuff. And then uh, this match was fine. It was a really good back-and-forth match. Um, Aldous tried to lock a cloverleaf on Pope, but he ate a super kick from Stevens when he did. Pope hit the STO on Adonis, but Kratos blind-tagged in as Pope was arguing with the referee. Kratos grabbed a chair and tried to kill Adonis with it, but Stevens pulled the chair away, uh, saying, we're not going to win that way, we're not going to cheat. And uh, throughout the match, uh, Kratos has been... Uh, yelling at Aaron Stevens um, because Aaron Stevens was not cheating. And uh, remember, Stevens was the heel originally be, uh, before he came back with Back for the Attack. And Kratos became his partner at Primetime Live, uh, the United Wrestling Network, and that's when they won the titles. And Kratos, um, Kratos was still a heel in this situation. And so he's been berating Stevens throughout the match, and uh, especially when they were getting the heat on Stevens. But Stevens pulls the chair away, then Adonis rolled Kratos up and won with a handful of tights. In the post-match, Aaron Stevens said that Kratos didn't need the chair to win and handed him his title back, the tag title, saying that they weren't going to wrestle that way. Kratos said that Stevens should have let him do it, and the show went off the air with the two arguing. So we got several stories advanced here and Aaron Stevens the new newly found babyface arguing with his tag team partner who is still a heel which actually makes sense um, it makes sense that Stevens would be a babyface after his friend died he's had a change of heart and a change of philosophy 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 there we go tongue getting all tied uh, and it made sense that he would have that change of perspective. And uh, Kratos makes sense that he wouldn't. He didn't know Question Mark. He never wrestled with Question Mark. He wasn't in the NWA when Question Mark was around. And so he wants Aaron Stevens to cheat. And Aaron Stevens does not. So a good story between the two. And uh, obviously there's great stuff going on with Pope. Uh, they're they're seeding down the line Pope versus Aldous, but they're also seeding Pope versus Tyrus, and obviously they're setting up Camille versus Serena Deeb, and they're setting up a rematch with Thunder Rosa. Lots of good stories advanced. Yeah, no, it sounds like a couple of really just phenomenal nights of wrestling from uh, the NWA out in Atlanta, and I agree with you. It, it's nice to see uh, a tag team kind of start to make that split, for, but for it to make sense where, you know, Aaron Stevens 
goes through this traumatic event, wants to change his ways, starts doing things the right way, and then this guy that he uh, met in the interim who understands him to be a certain kind of way, doesn't quite get why he's changing, doesn't understand the importance of it, and so that's like a big point of contention. I really like that that's a major story point for him because it makes sense. I mean, who hasn't had a friend that, you know, was stuck in an old way that you may have entertained at one point and then you try to like grow and become someone different and you end up having to leave somebody behind yeah yep and that seems to be exactly what they're doing here it's a a logical realistic story that a lot of people can relate to it's good stuff realistic storytelling in wrestling whoever would have got whoever would have guessed who would have thought? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, from a night, a couple of nights of really good storytelling to whatever the hell Sunday night was, let's talk about Fastlane. <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay, so the show opens up in their pre-show. And just to preface, this is the first uh, pay-per-view of the, the No More WWE Network era in the U.S. It's all on Peacock. Peacock immediately starts showing a strain under the weight of people trying to sign in to watch this pay-per-view. You can't rewind. You can't fast forward. You can't pause on the live stream. You're if you're, if it's on, it's on and you're, you're locked in, which <sighs> fine. It's a bit of a, a, a growing pain for people that are so used to being able to like pause, walk away and do what they need to do and then come back. Uh, so that, that was definitely tough to get used to, but the show opens up with, what I will begrudgingly call a very good match between Matt Riddle and Mustafa Ali uh, for mm. Matt Riddle's United States Championship. Uh, Riddle ends up retaining the title, but after the match, and this is where it actually got really good for me, after the match, uh, the members of Retribution, who have all been kind of on the outside just watching this go down, come into the ring and beat down Ali uh, even further than the match led to him being like, beaten down and leave him laying in the middle of the ring as they exit. Uh, there's been some activity on Twitter with people like Mia Yim abandoning her reckoning Twitter account and uh, restarting tweeting from the Mia Yim account. Uh, and then there are other people uh, still maintaining their retribution Twitter accounts. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, what all comes of that story, if anything, around WrestleMania time. Hmm. Hmm. They didn't address it on Raw? Uh, not that I saw, but Raw is also four hours long, so it's very possible that it, it was brought up and I just missed it. Uh, but yeah, not, not, not that I'm aware of. It, it was not brought up on Raw. Okay. Uh, part of me thinks that they're just going to reintroduce them as new characters, and that's it. Yeah, it's kind of what I'm thinking is, especially with um, Rhea Ripley making her debut on Raw and needing someone to kind of butt heads with, I feel like that's kind of where we're going to get Mia Yim to kind of make her debut and be just this badass, uh, you know, female heel so that Rhea can maintain her babyface role. And then just, I mean, Dominic Dijakovic does not need to be wrestling in a mask. He just needs to be Dominic Dijak and just go crazy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, uh, sorry. Um, Dijakovic. Dijakovic, yes. <laughs> Instead of just Donovan Dijak. So much easier. It doesn't make sense why they would add syllables to his name. Cause Dom- Dominic Dijakovic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
It doesn't make any sense to me. But, you know, if I waited for WWE to make sense, I, I'd be a very sad person. And you'd be waiting for a long time. <laughs> yes. So that'll actually bring us into the main show of Fastlane, which opened up with Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax, your current WWE Women's Tag Team Champions, because NXT has their own tag team championships now for the women. But these are the main brand tag team champions facing off against Sasha Banks, who is your SmackDown champion, or is she Raw? No, she's... she's. I mean, that tells you all you need to know about that division, that I, I can't remember which division she's the champion of. But... Uh, and Bianca Belair, who is her opponent at WrestleMania, facing off uh, against one another. It was, I mean, it was a match. It was okay. It, I don't like Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax together. I don't think they they have a team's chemistry. I, I, I do think they make good foils for each other, but they just they don't have that chemistry that you want from a tag team, especially tag team champions in ring. Uh, Sasha and Bianca are, of course, incredible talents, incredible performers. I think it's so, so silly to have them losing to a tag team that has not exactly blown the roof off the place with their run this close to WrestleMania when you're supposed to be like setting them up to be two of the best women in the history of the company facing off against one another to figure out who really is the top dog. It, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me personally, but it, eh, it, only, was, it was a match. Only in WWE do you have people losing their matches to lead into a title match at WrestleMania. And not only that, but only in WWE do you have people losing a title match where there's no longer guaranteed, uh, or supposedly, quote-unquote, no longer guaranteed rematches, and then two weeks later getting a rematch on a pay-per-view right before WrestleMania and still losing clean. But, uh, like, uh, I guarantee you Vince has forgotten the no rematches rule. I can, I guarantee you he's forgotten it. Oh, that uh, would not shock me at all, and that makes me sad. Um, but that would not shock me. Really, it's perplexing to me because the story between Sasha and Bianca should be so simple. It's the two best women's wrestlers in the world beating everybody until they face each other and one of them wins. Yeah. It, like that's, I, that's all see, it needs to be. And I see what Vince is trying to do. He's trying to do Mega Powers Explode. Because you have Reginald running around, but Reginald's also running around with like 15 other people at the same time. So he's he's doing his best to make the Mega Powers Explode match happen for the women, but he's trying to do it in two months where the Mega Powers had two years of build. It's just, it, it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, today's Thursday, right? Yes. It's the ROH show tonight. Uh, need to check that. Order. I thought that was tomorrow. The uh, best, the anniversary show. Yes. Uh, oh, jeez, I. Oh, it's tomorrow. It is tomorrow. Okay, thank God. <laughs> Are you supposed to be covering it? Yes. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> Uh, I, I, uh, 
It's tomorrow, though. Yeah. They already they already put the live post up. The editor must have screwed up. Weird. Yeah, because it's uh, it's nine o'clock here, so it wouldn't be starting this late. Yeah, jeepers. I just about had a heart attack. I was like, did the pay-per-view start? Am I missing my live coverage? Uh, let's see. Yeah, I won't be able to do the live coverage for this show, but support... Okay, we're tomorrow night instead. Okay. The editor posted the live post early. Oh. That's, that's dangerous. Yeah, I just about had a heart attack a second ago because I saw a part pop up on my phone and I was like, I could have swore that show was tomorrow night. <laughs> it, it, I, I was tagged in a tweet and I, and I, from the guy who usually recaps the Ring of Honor stuff saying he couldn't do it. And he was like, yeah, support my buddy uh, WR Central, me. And uh, I was like, oh, crap. And then I looked at it and, oh, thank God. It's in 23 hours. I'm okay. Well, okay. you know, you got the blood pumping, which is more than this pay-per-view you can save for itself. Actually, you could probably leave that in. <laughs> Let's leave that in, because it's so ridiculous. It, it will make people laugh. Uh, I almost had a heart attack. Uh, oh, well, uh, yes, back to the pay-per-view, the horrific show. So, yeah, so Shayna Baszler and Nijax come out. Uh, I think the most frustrating part of this entire show is that they they won clean. There was no the, no heel bullshit. They, they just beat them which does so much damage to both of these women right before their ma- their massive, massive match at WrestleMania. It's insane to me. And I think, I, I honest to God, I think the reason that Shayna and Nia beat them was so that Vince had an excuse for not making Sasha and Bianca one of the main events for the, for the two-night WrestleMania. I think he's, he's intentionally burying them so that he can get away with not having the main event one of the nights. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, like I, it's unfortunate that he's. Well, I don't know if he's deliberately sabotaging them. Like, I, d- I don't think Vince ever does anything that's deliberately bad, except for the occasional car crash segment. Mm. Like, I think, I think he thinks he's building the best match he can, which is alarming. Yes, because that, that he looked at this and said, "This is good. This is the best thing we can make happen with our women's division right now." Is just horrifying, and the fact that, like, no disrespect to Shayna Baszler, who could kill me, and Nia Jax, who thinks she could. These two women do not need to be holding your tag team titles this long. Give them to an actual team who's going to do well and like reunite the Iconics. Give them that moment. Have the Iconics reunite at WrestleMania, take the titles off Shayna and Nia, and then never put those two in a ring together unless they're facing off against one another. It just it doesn't work for me. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, I don't know why they separated Billy Kay and Peyton Royce. Um, it looked Minute and like they I, were getting ready to shoot Billy Kay to the moon, and then she just didn't do anything. And now she's off TV, gone. And and the, the weird, the weirdest thing about this, it's like I'm, I'm not even a fan of the Iconics. I wasn't when they were back in NXT, and I was watching NXT every week. But if you're going to break them up, do something with at least one of them. Yes. 
and they have done nothing with both of them. Well, it, it's similar it, to the heavy machinery thing, where they broke up heavy machinery and kind of, sort of gave Otis a run of his own for a little bit as like Mandy's unlikely fat love interest, and now he's on a team with in uh, geez, Louise, what is his name from American Alpha? Um, uh, uh Chad Gable. Yes. He's no longer Shorty G. He's just he's just Chad Gable now. They finally got rid of Shorty G. Yeah, I, I, they they got rid of that a few months ago, I think. Yes. Thank it's God. Just, it it doesn't make sense why they're breaking up all these teams that they're spending. In the case of the Iconics and Heavy Machinery, years getting over in NXT and just forcing down your throat until you realize that these guys are really really good. And then they bring them to the main roster, break them up, and put them in different teams. Yeah, it's so dumb. It's so dumb. That's it all is. I can say. Uh, and, and obviously, they've hurt Sasha and Bianca with with that. What they're doing there, like, how much more would that match mean if each of them had an opponent for the pay per views and wrestled alternating weeks on on TV and beat everyone in front of them? So that they're on a winning streak, and you said they wanted to be uh, the superpowers or the mega powers. Um, before I had my near near death experience thinking of the ROH pay per views tonight, um, I the mega powers was built over a year. Like Hogan, Hogan and Savage were allies for an entire year. Yeah. It's just it's it's short sighted and it's it's poor booking and for all the good that Vince has begrudgingly done for women's wrestling in the last five years, he he certainly seems dead bent, you know, hell bent rather, to undo as much of it as he can as quickly as he can. And I would argue in many cases those women have gotten over they had for they had been positioned better. All, all the women in WWE had been positioned better, but a lot of them have become stars in spite of the booking. Yes, uh, like Bailey was the easiest top babyface you could ever have. All you had to do was just let her do what she did in NXT. But no, you have to tell stories, in quotation marks. And they made her unlikable. They made Bailey unlikable. That's impossible. Like, that's um- talent. That's, that's an exceptional level of incompetence. And Sasha Banks, who is a genuinely likable human being in real life, when you see her interviews at a character and stuff like that, and they make her such a heel when she's a babyface. I don't get it. Bianca Belair, again, a genuinely, unbelievably likable human being. If you, and she was an NXT too. Even when she was a heel, she was likable uh, because her charisma shined over and it turned her face. This match should be huge. This should be a really big match, and they've bungled the presentation of it. The match is still probably going to be really good. I don't see how it could be bad. With uh, Sasha Banks is one of the best women's wrestlers in the world, 
And I'm a, I'm a fan of uh, Japanese women's wrestling as well, Joshi. Uh, like I watch, I love women's wrestling just as much as I love uh, wrestling with the like New Japan with all men's wrestling and stuff like that too. I just love wrestling, always have. If the wrestling is good, I'm happy. Sasha Banks is among the best. She can hang with the top Joshi workers. Uh, Bianca Belair is not at that level yet in terms of in the ring, but when she's with someone who is, she's going to have that level of match. And she's very good. I lo- And uh, I did watch this past Royal Rumble because a friend asked, and her win in that Royal Rumble was very well done. I, I wasn't a fan of the match as a whole, but I, I liked the uh, the little things they did at the end with Rhea Ripley and other things like that. And I liked, really liked how Bianca Belair won. I liked how they eliminated Charlotte because they wanted everyone to think Charlotte was the chosen one. Like they, they're sometimes the company's remarkably self-aware in those regards. Like yes. they, they knew everyone believes Charlotte was over pushed. So they positioned it to make you think that Charlotte was over pushed in the match before giving you Bianca winning. Now, that presents a problem because that means the company is the heel in that storyline, but that's another story. Maybe we can address that in another day of how WWE positioning the company or management as the heel actually ends up hurting their presentation. But anyways, uh, that really could be an excellent main event level match. Um, And I still think the match is going to be really good, but I don't care about it as much as I would if the story was told better. Of course, I'd be watching if the story was told better, but that's a different story. Yeah, no, it, it, it's definitely one where you just you have to scratch your head and say, you know, for better or for worse, well, what could have been? And then just kind of keep, keep moving, because if you sit there and you just go over in your mind every way in which they have bungled this from the jump, it's just, it's going to hurt your heart. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But continuing on with the pay-per-view, we had Big E, who's your current Intercontinental Champion, in his own words, going biblical on Apollo and pinning him to retain his title. This is a match that should have been on WrestleMania. This this is a match that I think for all of the buildup that they've done in the last six months with Big E getting drafted over to uh, SmackDown on his own and doing his own thing away from the New Day and being allowed to be this massive force again and then bringing in Apollo Crews who he has a personal history with and having him kind of become turned heel in the process of chasing after success that he feels he deserves this feels like a match that should have been allowed to breathe on a Wrestlemania I hope I hope I hope I hope we get to see these two go after it again on a Wrestlemania card you know, ideally the one coming this year, but with them doing this match so often on TV and then again on uh, Fastlane, it really feels like they gave it to us so that when we don't get it on a, one of the WrestleMania nights, they can just say, oh, well, it, it was over here. Just go watch it over here. That's interesting because I, I'm not convinced they're not going to do the match at Mania now. They might not. But this is WWE. They do endless rematches for no reason. That so, is true. Who's to say? 
Yeah, it's it's one where I hope, but every time I hope with this company, they they find a way to to yank the football out from in front of me. <laughs> They're very loosey to my Charlie Brown. Yeah, so I, I, just, I go into it with with an understanding that I'm gonna land on my ass and look ridiculous, and then it it doesn't hurt so bad when it happens. <laughs> oh man! But moving on, we had Braun Strowman defeating Elias via pinfall. This was a, a squash and a very fast squash. This felt like this could have been a raw match. In fact, it probably should have been a raw match. Uh, this was meant to be Shane McMahon versus Braun Strowman after Braun Strowman felt disrespected by McMahon. Uh, he was forced out of that match with Braun. Uh, I, if I'm remembering properly, he quoted his stomach issues that he's had flare up in the past as to why he couldn't compete in the match. Uh, so we had Elias, and Elias is a great bumper and will sell until the cows come home, but I could not care less about watching Braun Strowman run Elias over. I just, I didn't care. It was it was a very meh way to keep the match going and keep the so, night moving. So, uh, yeah, it was originally Braun. I think it was um, Shane hurt himself in a training thing, hurt his knee. Okay. In like a training a training montage, if I, if I remember correctly, like I like I don't watch, but I still follow. If you understand what I mean, <laughs> um, honestly, I still you probably have better knowledge than of a lot of this than I do because all you do is follow, so you're not being like hit over the head with the hours of inane shit that we get instead of the matches. Yeah, so I I kind of get the uh, the general direction rather than the. Uh, having to suffer through some of the stuff. But, uh, let's see, uh, if I remember correctly, I'm just closing my eyes trying to think. Uh, Shane, yeah, so I think Shane hurt his knee, and that's what they did with that. But the thing that's really the, the most frustrating part about it was that it's, uh, that it is a, uh, false advertising. It's, it's bait and switch. And Cards people would say, oh, to change. they love to do that. Yeah, but see, card subject to change is supposed to be for acts of God. Like the weather happened and the guy couldn't get here. That's why card is subject to change. It's not supposed to be used as an excuse to bait and switch your audience, which is what WWE does. And WCW did this all the time on their house shows and their house show business died before they died. WWE does it, and their house show business was dying before the pandemic. I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, you can't advertise something, promise it to the fans, and then not deliver without a, an actual good excuse. Occasionally, ever so occasionally, you can do a kayfabe injury and have someone removed from the match. But you look at... Um, the Ring of Honor pay-per-view coming up. Uh, Dragon Lee cannot be there because of a minor surgery that he had. And he had a busted eardrum for a long time now, and he had to get it fixed. And it just got to the point where doctors wouldn't clear him unless he got it fixed. So he's getting it fixed. So he couldn't be on the show. Because he couldn't be on the show, they've had to replace it with other matches, but they've apologized, they've announced it, long beforehand so that you know 
and they're going to deliver to you what the best card they can in light of Dragon Lee not being there. Um, AEW, when a guy goes out with COVID or an injury, they explain it to you, card subject to change, but otherwise their announced lineup is delivered every single time. New Japan does the same thing. Every promotion in the world does this, except WWE. Because that's the norm. WWE makes you think that's the normal way to approach something. Because they're the, the biggest game in town. But w, the way WWE does wrestling actually isn't the normal way to do wrestling. <laughs> Never uh, in many ways. And the things like that, especially just when it comes to card subject to change. Nobody else does this in the history of wrestling. No one else has. Except for WCW. And we know how that ended. And I'm not saying WWE is going to go out of business. They're in no danger of that. They're doing fine. They're rolling in money. Their TV ratings are declining, yes. But they're still top five for the night most nights. So they're fine. They're, they're doing fine. Except for NXT, which is rarely top 50. But that's another story. Um, yeah. But... WWE is doing fine, but this does hurt fan investment. If you're watching and you get excited, if for some reason, and I don't know why you would be, but if for some reason you were excited for Braun Strowman versus Shane McMahon and you didn't get it, you're probably going to be angry. If you were buying a pay-per-view, that, that's the thing. No one's buying pay-per-views anymore. This is the WWE network. So they just feel like they can do whatever they want. Previously, yes, WWE they don't would have, have that financial incentive to be honest. Exactly, insane to say. Yes, and in the long term, that is going to hurt your relationship to the customers. So, I think that's really the bigger story coming out of that, other than the fact that they probably had a terrible match. Yeah, it definitely. I think story A is. It was awful and just so, so stupid. And then story B is definitely that, like, the WWE continues to do this shady shit and get away with it. And because they've been doing the shady shit for so long, it's not even called out as being shady anymore. People think it's the norm. an issue. Yes. Which is why it's so shocking to us when we get, like, updates from New Japan or... AEW, Ring of Honor, Impact, MLW, any of those, it's like, hey, this guy's not going to be here. And it's like, oh, well, why'd you tell me that? Why not just have them, you know, have the replacement come out? And it's like, well, because that's not how things are done. And you forget that it's not how things are done. It's just how that one company does it. Yep. Honesty is the best policy applies to wrestling when it comes to promoting cards. All right, well, that'll bring us to probably, not even probably, definitely the match of the night, which was Seth Rollins facing off against Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, Seth pins Shinsuke after just a hellacious sequence where uh, he is trying to buckle bomb Shinsuke into the corner with a falcon arrow uh, and actually succeeds in that, but Nakamura is able to kick out. Uh, and then there's a point following that where Seth's got Nakamura all lined up for the uh, curb stomp, which is still one of the most devastating looking moves 
in professional wrestling to me. The way Rollins is able to do it and the way Nakamura sells it is just insane. Uh, Nakamura is able to uh, avoid the curb stomp, but still gets caught with a kick to the back of the head. Uh, and then Rollins follows up that kick with another curb stomp and rolls up Nakamura. This was insane and honestly should have taken the show off the air. It, it was just it was so, so good. Uh, I don't know how... Well, I shouldn't say that. There's probably a way to book it so it isn't. But it's very difficult for those two to not have a good match. Um, Seth Rollins is an exceptional worker. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. And it would be very difficult for those two to not have a good match. Yeah, no, definitely agreed. It's one of those where, like... One of them's just got to be having a hell of an off night for them not to make magic together. And it it's evident how much Raw missed Seth and like just missed his presence and his ability to pull out great matches with anybody when you see the work he's been doing since his return at the Royal Rumble. I do think it's a mistake to bring him back as a heel with the Monday Night Messiah gimmick or whatever he is on Friday nights of SmackDown. Um, uh, Roman Reigns needs challengers post WrestleMania, especially. And having Seth come back as a babyface, I mean, just ignore that horrible Monday Night Messiah gimmick and let him be a babyface. And just have him go feud with Roman uh, after WrestleMania, it would be great. Uh, regardless of what happens at WrestleMania with Roman, um, I think that would have been a better option. Uh, and um, I'm 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 endlessly frustrated about Shinsuke Nakamura in WWE because he's Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, I mean, he's one of the he is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, and there's just so much money left on the table because he could be a top guy anywhere. He's so good, and uh, I mean, in some matches he only goes halfway, but. In WWE, he doesn't need to do the New Japan style. He doesn't have to to have a good match. And, But when he does do the New Japan style, which I assume we probably got a little bit off with Seth Rollins here, it was probably a great match. Uh, so yeah, uh, but I'm really glad they had a good match. I'm really glad Nakamura is still allowed to go on TV and have good matches. Um, I just wish he was positioned better. But I would not complain one bit about Seth Rollins pinning Nakamura or anything like that. Uh, Seth is a top guy, uh, and right now he's probably factored into future plans, whatever those may be, uh, whatever a future plan is for Vince McMahon. Um, I have no problem with Seth beating Nakamura. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely one where Nakamura loses nothing by losing this match, and Seth gains everything by coming in and uh, you know, putting on a performance like this and kind of showing people that even though he was away and taking care of family matters, he can still bring up the stops like this. Uh, I agree with you that they should have left this Messiah gimmick behind. They they really honestly should have done what NXT did with um, oh goodness gracious, uh, Tommaso Ciampa, where he goes away. You see pictures of the baby. He comes back and he's a baby face because people like cheering people with babies. People like babies. Just let him be a proud <laughs> father and 
be a face and then go slap meat with Roman Reigns for 20 minutes on WrestleMania. Yeah. It'll be fine. And yep. now we get into a match that I, oh man, I wish I had liked this. I wanted so badly to like this. Uh, Alexa Bliss faces off with Randy Orton in the, to my knowledge, first intergender wrestling match on a pay-per-view since china left the company i could i could be wrong on that but this was just straight up billed as an intergender match which is something that wwe does not do like as a rule uh this was everything that you josiah claimed to hate about the fiend it was <laughs> randy orton gets in the ring and immediately starts vomiting the black liquid that he's been vomiting for weeks uh alexa is like teleporting across the ring and always ends up right behind him she's got the fireballs to keep him at bay uh at one point orton is like walking around the ring following alexa bliss trying to get her into position for the rko and like lighting rigs start falling all around him it was super, super weird. Uh, the big turn in the match came when I believe it was a lighting rig fell through the canvas and everyone was kind of like waiting around seeing if it was a botch. And then the fiend's hand comes pushing up through the canvas, which we all know under the ring is a magical portal to wherever you need to go. You can either be Hornswoggle's house, the Firefly Fun house, anywhere you need to be. You just go into the ring and you'll get there. Uh, so the fiend returns, uh, drops Orton into his sister Abigail, and then the the thing that was memed the most of this entire match was the way that Alexa pinned Randy. She just sort of sat on him with her like weird yeah. little mini skirt thing that she's got, and a lot of jokes were made that were. Not the first thing my mind jumped to, but now going back and watching it with context makes a lot of sense. Uh, so yeah, this was bad. This was very, very bad. Definitely not the worst match that The Fiend has ever been involved in, but definitely well, up there, and it makes me sad. The only move that was hit was a Sister Abigail. It was four minutes of nothing. And... Four minutes of oh I'm over here now I'm over here it was it was your little sister screwing with you until you get pissed enough that you say something you regret and then your dad comes in and finishes it for her and I get that that's what they wanted it to be but holy God it's a wrestling show and Alexa Bliss like her hater can wrestle let her wrestle yeah she's she's not the best of workers but I I didn't think for one second especially moving on to peacock that they were going to have a match uh, an intergender match um, they don't want especially with peacock editing things of the network now uh, I mean peacock's got taxi on it they can handle intergender wrestling yeah I know but uh, you're you're not wrong you're not wrong but the way that they're editing stuff of the WWE network, they're probably going to frame it as this is man on woman violence, and Lord. and then they'll they'll want to edit it off and not do that. Now, I get I, that I, knee jerk reaction from the Peacock overlords if that's why this went the way it did. Of like, we can't have man on woman violence. Da 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 da. da. Well, I mean, you you just I, have to have a very base understanding of professional wrestling and the women that get into professional wrestling to recognize that it's not about victimizing the women. It's about empowering them. Well, here's the thing with that. 
WWE is never going to do intergender wrestling. At least not anytime soon. They just aren't. They aren't going to do it. Um, I don't even know if Peacock handed this down. I don't think they did. I think this was a 100% conscious decision by WWE not to do that. But WWE is a baffling company because they had Orton RKO Bliss before. So it is very baffling their approach to this kind of stuff in the modern era. As far as intergender wrestling goes, um, I think if it's presented well as a competition between a man and a woman to determine who is the better competitor in a pro wrestling context, nothing wrong with that. Um, some intergender wrestling I don't like because it's just 15 minutes of a dude beating the crap out of a woman, and that makes me very that makes me very uncomfortable. Um, Lucha Underground did that a few times, where it was just a dude beating on a woman over and over and over again. Uh, some of their intergender matches were just back and forth wrestling matches, but the other stuff like that that makes me really uncomfortable and. Uh, it is uh, noted in the writings with Lucha Underground when they did this. Where it was just a dude beating on a woman for 10 minutes and beating her. Where she got nearly no offense. Those shows did terrible in the writings. The matches and shows where they just did a straight wrestling match where it was back and forth and it was even just like a competition. Those, those shows did fine in the writings. So I think it's down to presentation. And I think WWE could present intergender wrestling correctly if they wanted to. But I don't think they're going to. I don't think they're going to present a period. Because they have the they do have an antiquated view in terms of um, men versus women in a professional wrestling context. This isn't like... Um, the NBA or something like that. Like women's NBA teams versus a men's NBA team probably won't work very well because of the size difference. Um, but maybe they could. I don't know. That could be an interesting thing if they did that. But uh, WWE is fake. Wrestling is fake. You could present this in a way that is good. I don't trust WWE to do it if they did. And I don't think WWE is going to even entertain going down that road I was when they announced this match I was 100% sure it was going to be all gimmick uh, and there was going to be no wrestling involved and I was right which is unfortunate yeah this match in my heart of hearts I knew it wasn't going to be anything at all but I I really hoped maybe we would be playing around with the the fiend mind control stuff and maybe alexa would get some offense because she can do the sister abigail we've seen her do the sister abigail and if you you play the you know firefly funhouse theme you make her go all zombie zonks like she would when she would beat up on the women in the division and have her just deliver a sister abigail out of nowhere and that's all you had to do you know you keep everybody strong you make her look like a million bucks when she's under Mind control, but it, it became a gimmicky mess, and I, I really shouldn't have expected anything more, if, if we're being honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... Yeah, I'll just leave it at that. 
<laughs> yeah. So the main event of WWE Fastlane had your boy Daniel Bryan facing off against Roman Reigns. Bryan has inserted himself into the Roman Reigns Edge kind of feud in recent weeks, uh, making very bold and wide statements that this could be his last WrestleMania ever, which if it is, good career, right off into the sunset, raise your babies, do what you gotta do. I hope it's not, but it could be. Uh, this was a very typical Reigns match. I mean, he it's spears, it's a lot of high and heavy impact offense, uh, but Brian's able to do his style of wrestling a couple of times. Uh, he gets... Uh, Reigns locked into a yes lock at one point and actually forces Reigns to tap out in the first time in his entire career as a WWE superstar, uh, FCW or otherwise. He has never tapped before, but the referee was distracted by uh, Uso at that point. So nothing really happened. It's just kind of, we all saw it happen. We all know he tapped, but it, that's not how the match ended. The match came to an end, though, when Edge grabbed a steel chair and slid into the ring and just started beating the holy hell out of both of these guys. Just all of this anger and frustration at Daniel Bryan for inserting himself into the feud and at Roman for being a jackass came up at all at this the same moment and just beat the crap out of him. Uh, so it was called a disqualification and Roman retained his title. This was a perfect match, and there were rumors pretty much immediately after the match that the WrestleMania match between Reigns and Edge had been added with Daniel Bryan, which, as of recording, has not yet been confirmed. Okay. Uh, I think the finish was actually a little bit different than what you had there. Um, did they hit Edge at any point by accident? Like, Did Daniel Bryan hit him by accident? I could be wrong. Yes, that is. You are completely right. I this whole pay per view was insane, and I've just missed out on things. Yeah, so it looks like uh, Brian had it had the steel chair in hand at first because Jay Uso had come in and like laid everybody out, uh, and so Brian comes back in after like regaining his strength and takes out Jay and accidentally hits Edge. Hits Edge. Okay. The, yeah. So Brian hits Jay knocks him out the ring, but also clips Edge with it, which is when Edge just kind of goes insane with that steel chair. Right. That's, all, that's okay. my bad. Okay, uh, and then um, after that, a second referee came down, and Reigns crawled over and pinned Brian. Yes. So he, he beat him. Okay, so it wasn't a DQ. No, okay. that's, that's my, my mistake. My bad. So this match went for 30 minutes exactly. Um, by all reviews, the match itself was awesome, uh, because Daniel Bryan is great and Roman Reigns is great. Yes. And, and, uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the thing that might hook me for WrestleMania here. So leaning up to this for the past few months, Daniel Bryan has been beaten by everybody. He's lost to Cesaro. He's lost to a whole bunch of guys who have no positioning in the main event. He's lost to Jey Uso. Uh, I mean, he's just been, like, going back to January, I think. I think he lost to Jey Uso. Jey Uso. Um, but anyways. I believe so, yes. He's been beaten like a drum, repeatedly. 
And people started saying, well, they need a top babyface outside of Edge to for Reigns to face leading into WrestleMania. And leading up to it, uh, Edge, for some reason, because of how they booked him, kind of came across as unlikable uh, on SmackDown a few times with his promos. Like, uh, and then when they started to factor Daniel Bryan into the shot at Fastlane, like, why would Edge be angry to face Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania? That doesn't make any sense as a babyface. Like, yeah, he wants to fight Reigns because Reigns is this heel and he wants to beat him. But if Daniel Bryan wins at Fastlane, which somehow he got a match despite being beaten like a drum for months, uh, if Daniel Bryan wins, you get to have a one-on-one match with Daniel Bryan. It's a dream match at WrestleMania. And it's two men just to determine who's the better champion. That's it. Edge should be pleased with that. He doesn't have to worry about interference from Paul Heyman. He doesn't have to worry about Jey Uso. You know, it, like, there's not As a babyface, he should want the most competitive match. He should want a match that is fair. He's not going to get a fair match with Roman Reigns. So if Daniel Bryan wins, he should be happy. If Roman Reigns wins, well, he gets what he wants. So he should still be happy there, regardless. But he should be okay with either one of those things, because he's a babyface. But for some reason, he was really angry that Daniel Bryan might win, leading into it. Which is kind of baffling, uh, when Edge was a babyface. Now, there are a few things going on uh, backstage. Uh, For some unknown reason, and this has always been the case except for one exception, Edge has never meant anything for the ratings on Raw or SmackDown, going back even in his prime. His return did lower numbers than shows without him, which is just weird. I don't understand because Edge is a star. Edge is awesome. I love Edge. Um, the only time he's ever meant anything for the ratings is when he beat John Cena at New, Year Re- New Year's Revolution and became champion for the first time after cashing in money in the bank when he became the ultimate opportunist or whatever line Michael Cole spews. Um, but even back then, like, his segments that he's in for some reason just don't do well or don't draw new viewers. They don't retain viewers. His episode of NXT did 600,000 viewers. It did not boost NXT. NXT went down. It's just weird. I don't understand it. I have no idea why this is reflected in the ratings. But Vince could be looking at that and think that Edge as the top babyface leading into WrestleMania is a bad idea. So we're going to turn him heel. And that's what happened here. I think Edge turned heel. Yeah, no, I agree. And it, it's interesting because Christian was the same way throughout his run with the WWE, where he just, when Edge and Christian were together, they were money, but apart for whatever reason, like they, they did great work. The The quality of their work never dipped, whether together or apart, but just they didn't draw the same kind of attention that they did Together. together, together. Although it is interesting, um, when they advertised Christian's return against Randy Orton a few months ago, 
the show gained 300,000 viewers. Really? Yes. That's odd. I don't understand. Like, I I just don't get it. But sometimes ratings don't make sense. Let's just be honest. Yeah. Uh, Edge Edge is a bigger star. There's no question. Edge is a legitimate star. But he seems to only able to draw when he is positioned with someone who can draw. I don't understand why. It does not make any sense to me logically. Because he is so good. Like, so this is not me saying Edge sucks or anything like that. No, 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 no. Edge is unbelievable. He is so good. He is a phenomenal worker. He is a legitimate main event star. I love Edge. I love Edge as a main eventer. I love him as champion. I love him in the main event scene. I love that he's returned. But for some reason, it doesn't work in the ratings. I have no explanation for this. There is no real explanation. Other than it just is. And Vince, being Vince, looks at that and goes, well, we got to turn to be your pal! Instead of just going with the obvious babyface story of Edge, who returned from injury, is going to come and beat Roman Reigns, Spear versus Spear, and win the title that he never lost. That's a good story. Agreed. Um, but somehow, they've mucked it up. Uh, they, they use the muddy turn, muck. Um, I wasn't swearing. I <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, oh yeah, that's one thing you'll notice. I don't swear um, on podcasts or anything like that. Uh, just a side note. I don't care if you do, whatever. But uh, you're not going to hear profanity from me. That's all. Sorry. Uh, just uh, I'm, I, side note. I'm a pastor, so that's why uh, part of it. You're not going to hear that kind of stuff. But uh, edge. Whatever it is, has never meant anything for the ratings, and so Vince probably thought, "Well, we need who's our best babyface," and of course, of course, they go with Daniel Bryan. Who is the best babyface that company has seen in the last twenty years? It's Daniel Bryan. Exactly. Pretty much, anyways. I mean, there, yeah. there's other guys there, like Shawn Michaels. They're, great. they're contenders, but Daniel Bryan is is that guy. He's the ultimate baby face. And he's awesome. And so they put him in their opposite heel, Roman Reigns, and you get some magic. The promo is leading into this match. Daniel Bryan is saying, you know, a, a top-notch guy like you has never been tapped out, but I'm going to tap you out. Because you've never been in there with someone as good as me. Except for the last time. And then he does it. And then he does it. He does it. Good storytelling. Great storytelling. So that's like uh, that's that's awesome. That is so good that the referee's out, but Roman is tapping, and Paul Heyman is screaming at him, "Think of your children. Don't tap. Don't tap." Oh, and he does so good, so good. And this storyline, I know Heyman isn't in creative anymore, but the storyline has Paul Heyman's fingers all over it, um, because. 
Heyman ultimately is really good at stuff like this. And even though he's not head of creative anymore, anything he's involved in, he is going to have a creative hand in because Vince ultimately trusts him a lot. Uh, even though he blamed him for the declining ratings during the pandemic and then hired Bruce Pritchard and Raw went to crap. <laughs> uh, Bruce is a great podcaster, but I, I don't I don't like Bruce's booking style at all. Uh, I think he's a very entertaining podcaster, but if you're looking for truth, don't go to him. Yes. He, it's the same with Eric Bischoff, 83 weeks. Very entertaining, full of lies. <laughs> yes. They, they, they go by the... WWE mantra of we'll fix it in post and just say what you need to say and as long as it's entertaining no one really cares if it makes any sense yeah and like Bischoff lies through his teeth all the time about stuff he did in WCW and avoids blame for things that he did and all this kind of stuff but and Pritchard's the same way oh this was great no it wasn't Bruce anyways uh, uh yeah Bruce Bruce and Bischoff lie a lot on their podcasts, but they're, they're very creative, they're very engaging, very entertaining. Uh, but if you want to know what really happened during the Monday Night Wars, don't go to them. Uh, you're better off with guys like JR who, who are known to not lie. But anyways, um, this here, the story of that match was really good. I loved the story of this match. Uh, from I didn't see it myself, but everyone describing the match to me, every recap I read, I'm looking at this and I'm like, this, this is the kind of thing I can sink my teeth into. It would have been more meaningful if Daniel Bryan hasn't been beaten for three months straight, but this is something. They got something here. And turning Edge heel, as much as I, I regret them not going with the simple storyline of the returning hero beats the villain. Um, turning Edge heel, which I think is the right choice based on how badly they bungled Edge up until this point, that creates an interesting dynamic. Because now you have the babyface Daniel Bryan going against a heel Edge and a heel Roman Reigns. And that is a good story. That could be a really good story. That match, that match should be awesome. I think that match is going to be really good. And I like Roman Reigns. Uh, from the clips I've watched as a, of him as a heel, he's been phenomenal. Uh, I love Edge. I'm so happy he's back. I'm so happy he's main event in WrestleMania again. I wish that they didn't mess up his babyface run. And then you got Daniel Bryan, who is legitimately one of the best wrestlers of all time. Um. And just the most likable guy. Like it's so hard to to root against Daniel Bryan. He's so easy to root for. I think that that there, if they do well enough, might be enough to get me to watch WrestleMania. That is a bold statement coming from you for sure. But I I agree. If they play their cards right here, they're going to be able to bring in. So many people that maybe have lapsed in their viewing of the main product, but have to see how these three guys interact in the ring and have to see what these three guys are able to do with 30 to 40 minutes uninterrupted on the biggest stage in professional wrestling. 
Yeah, and I, I, it's only one small, small thing. The fact that Brian is saying things like, because he's being scripted to say it, this could be my last WrestleMania, I know he's considering retiring in the next few years. He's 39. Edge is 47. Brian, Brian might retire and then go to the indies, or he might retire into a creative job. Fine. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But I don't think it's a good idea to say to someone who's 39, this might be my last WrestleMania. And Brian doesn't look old. Like, he doesn't wrestle like like he's old. He certainly doesn't visually look old. He looks the same as he always has. So why put the attention on his age and make it seem like he's going to retire soon? I, I don't understand that. But if they're going to go with that, lean into it and say, you know what? I don't know how many more of these I have left. So I am sure as heck going to make this my worth it. I am going to win. And that might be the direction they go. And in which case, if they do, good. The, the idea of promoting this as a potential last match for Daniel Bryan could be very interesting. Agreed. And I, I do think that, especially in recent years, watching all of these guys that have kind of walked away from mainstream sports because of injury and because of uh, the things that they've faced inside and out of, like the gladiatorial arena of their chosen sport and, and walked away with their health so that they could be, you know, adults and raise their children and things like that. I think that would really be attractive to someone like Daniel Bryan, who has already lost his career once of being mm -hmm. able to say, I'm going out on my own terms so that I can get up in the morning and play with my daughter and not feel like I'm going to die every day and kind of join Brie in the beauty of a healthy retirement. It's true. And the truth is, too, though, if he retires and doesn't join creative in WWE or something like that, and he just goes off on his own life and leaves WWE, I wouldn't be shocked if he did the occasional match for a few years. That is fair, yeah. But, you know what? If he retires, good for him. Like, he's leaving healthy, good. But I don't think he's done yet. And I don't think he's close to done. Not not yet. I, I think he's got a few years left in him. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, if anything, he may lose at Mania and then, like, take six months to a year off and just kind of be home with his wife and his kid. Uh, but he also did just recently have that that same kind of break. So it, I, I think they're they're really building this up to be this might be my last mania, my last chance, my last moment. And then maybe you give him the title and you have him hold it. And he's the triumphant return. You know, he's got the title as a baby face again, or you have him lose. And then you have him chase either edge or Roman for the next year. Yeah. And it's, um, it's another thing where he returned four years ago, I think, or maybe three years ago, something like that. 
And it was so abundantly clear this was the hottest act in the company. And they did give him a title run as a heel. But how do you not have a long babyface run for this guy at the top? Like, you could do real business with this guy as your top babyface. But anyways, all that being said, I'm interested. Uh, I think that could be very fun. And I believe uh, that's a a good way to uh, draw this one to a close. <laughs> Absolutely. The two hours and 45 minute debut recording for our for our new podcast. I, I, I think there's no way better to end that than saying Daniel Bryan, whatever you choose to do, Josiah will be sitting in front of his TV watching with rapt attention. Correct, correct. Uh, at the very least, if I don't watch WrestleMania, I'm probably going to find a way to watch that match. Absolutely. Well, thank you all so much for tuning in. You can follow me over on Twitter at Gladen, Sam. You want to spell out that comma and read my coverage of all things pro wrestling at DailyDDT.com and also monthly Puro Resu uh, magazine. It's a monthly publication. It comes out uh, in physical form, which is like a, a collector's item. They're beautiful, beautiful magazines. And then you can also get that on Kindle iPad, wherever you get your digital magazines. Josiah, give them your pluggles. So, uh, at WR underscore central on Twitter is where you can find me. Uh, I also write at dailyddt.com and wrestlingobserver.com or f4wonline.com. If you watch Wrestling Observer live, uh, you can, or listen to it, you can listen to it or watch it on Twitch every day for free. And I'm a mod in the mod chat on Twitch. So uh, come say hi there as well. I'm a, I'm one, I'm a, well, the mods are a welcoming group, but some of the, uh, some of the Twitch homies, as they're called, are, uh, are really Twitch jabronis, and we have to slap the band hammer on them. But uh, if you're cool, uh, don't worry. Come chat, and we'll be glad to have you to talk all the wrestling news there as well. Uh, but yes, I recap the NWA for uh, the Wrestling Observer, and for Daily DDT, I, re- I recap AEW and NJPW when I can. Absolutely. Don't forget to subscribe to our show wherever you get the podcast leave us a rating and a review it really seriously helps us out you can follow the show on twitter at lapscraps that's l-a-p-s-e-d-g-r-a-p-s and until next time we out